This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Tuesday morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with uh, the gang. The gang is all here. Jeff and Terry locked and loaded, ready for fun. You were stalling there for a second because you forgot our names. I forgot what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your names. It's your it's your life. It's your image. It's your... <sighs> I've had a hard morning. Really? Mm-hmm. Tell us. No, it's... My kids all got up the same time I did. Oh, that's the never, worst. never, ever, ever happens. And it threw off my entire game. Were they in your way? Yeah. You're trying to get your stuff mm-hmm. together, get out the door. and all your Then, cleanup. like, everyone's like, well, I wanted to shower. I'm like, well, I always shower at this time in the morning. I don't know. You guys are usually sleeping. And uh, they were all up because they have a, an assembly they're doing today. And it threw my entire game off, everything. Well, don't you have more than one shower? Uh-huh. Okay. But I have more than one kid, too. Oh. And once they all start waking up, then Mama Bear gets up. <laughs> and when Mama Bear gets up, then we got to be efficient. Ugh. And we, we – it's just crazy. You just need to coordinate better. Well, yeah. The problem is I go to bed. They all knew that this was going to happen. Well, I was sleeping like a baby. Why didn't they alert you to this possible conflict? Because I went to bed about 930 mm. and we only talk about stuff like this at about 11. Hmm. Because that's when they're going to bed. Oh, and then they're like, oh, yeah, mom, I need my clothes for tomorrow. My suit pants and <sighs> so what does she do? Does she start ironing things uh-huh. or oh oh okay? And that's when I got up and left. Do you do you teach that's your bad. kids to iron their clothes? Yeah, at a oh. certain age we do. What's do that? You... What age is that? About fourteen. Oh, but they start ironing them about sixteen. Oh okay. Right. Do you uh, seventeen? Do you tend to time your departures with uh, whenever the help is needed at home? Yes, about ten minutes before help is needed. The kids I'm need to get in the the kids need to take a bath. Yep, oh, gotta I need, go. He, I need to go to the bathroom. He myself. senses parental responsibility yeah. and immediately evacuates yeah, the area. It's like I'm out of there. Run! I don't mean to. That's just how it always runs. Oh, I mean that's to. Just how it, I, that's just how it flows. I totally do that. Come on. I think every parent can admit to escaping. You know, just taking a little longer yeah. in the bathroom than usual. Well, you, I couldn't this morning because everybody had to get in. Anyway, so uh, my game's a little off. So, I, of course, I know your names, Larry and Schmo. Hmm. Are those the names? No. Terry and... Schmo? Terry and Blow. You said Schmo? Yeah. All right. I don't know. I'm just... I mean, you guys have only been on the show for how long? Two years? <sighs> All right. Anyway, we'll get to Jimmy. <laughs> In a minute, a uh, lot, of, lot of fun stuff to talk about, by the way. Today, we will teach you the number one tool in the smart machine age. Hmm. By the way, if you— Screwdriver? No. Oh. No. Oh, it's got to be an Allen wrench. No. Nope. You need those for everything. They're like universal. Yeah. yeah. No. Oh. No. Not even close. All right. Well, number we'll find out. Number one tool. There's a whole book on it. Wow. And uh, Ed Hess has been on the show before. We'll yeah. be talking about his book. And the tool is humility. Because if you can't learn, oh, right. that may be the only thing you can do. 
uh, be humble and learn and respond humbly to your environment, that might be something that you can do that a computer can't do. Mm. It may be your competitive advantage. Will you stop trying to blind me with the reflection of that book? I'm just trying to let you see the book. Yeah. But this even – I mean he's talking about – when computers and automation really starts taking jobs. Right yeah. now they're taking some manufacturing jobs. When uh-huh. they start really branching out, he even, this is what we need to do. The research even suggests that if you're a lawyer, your job could be on the block. Oh, yeah. If you're an accountant, your job could be on the block. If you're filling out forms for a job, that mm-hmm. could be automated. Yeah. Now, what we do, the creative excellence every morning, no. Come again. They, you can't replace this? the brilliance that we create daily. This? No. We've seen the reports. It's one of the jobs that's least likely to be replaced. Actually, I think it's just nobody else wants to do the yeah, morning show. That's it. Well, the, the, <laughs> other, early. the other side of this is even now, if you find yourself looking for a job, mm-hmm. you may need to find a job that's not what you want to do. Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe it is quote-unquote beneath you to we take talk, that job. We're talking about the sewer guy again? Maybe, mm. if that's what comes available. We're talking about the board operator. And that is literally beneath us all. It totally is. Right when I, when I was looking... Well, the, other, the problem with that, though, when I was looking for a job, I started applying for warehouse jobs. Just, really? They're available. I need something. Let's see if I can... You know. And I'd worked in warehouses yeah. before, so I kind of had a little background that way. Every, not all of them, but the ones that did reply are like, why are you applying for this? You have a degree. I'm like, I need a job. And did, like, did you see oh. what degree I have? <laughs> they're like, well, that's the other thing. <laughs> did you see my degree? <laughs> and they're like, ah, I don't – why are you applying for this? They're just like confused as to why I'm applying. I'm like, I need a job. Goodbye. They yeah. At some point, though, you just, you just got to get a job. And so, I mean, just being able in – a, in, a, in a short-term situation, being able to – be humble and do that kind of thing to survive. And he's talking about yeah. that kind of thing of changing your behavior and looking at developing other skills. That's right. Using your survive. humility to help you adapt and 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 move where you need to be. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's a it's a great idea, and we're going to get into it. Plus, of course, we got to talk about Puerto Rico's in the path mm. of Hurricane Maria. Puerto Rico. I feel bad for Puerto Rico. My heart's devotion. Wow. Let it sink back in the ocean. you're the one that started singing that. I was singing Maria. And then Jeff just launches into a whole Broadway show. Same movie or same musical, if you will. Yeah. Just... And you will. You will listen to it. <laughs> you will listen. <laughs> uh, we'll talk Puerto Rico. We'll talk Paul Manafort. <laughs> Apparently, President Trump was right. He may have been. Manafort was definitely, no. what's it called? Um, Not important at all. Eve, Had very little effect Eve, on the campaign. Uh, wiretapped. Wiretapped. Well, he was wiretapped before the election, way before. And, and after. After, and then Trump may have called him several oh, times. But that's juicy because that's – that now now it could be a direct line to the president because there may have – there may be information. It's right. a lot of wiretapping. Sounds like he was wiretapped out. <laughs> yeah. No, he wasn't. Plus protests in Georgia. So Puerto Rico, Paul Manafort, protests in, at Georgia Tech. Mm. We'll get to that, I'm sure, in the news. And we have to cover Nerf guns. Okay, let's do that. I didn't know if you guys know this, but 
Nerf guns are dangerous. I saw a uh, tub at one of the box stores, a tub of Nerf gun darts. Yeah. It was like 500 of them, and it was only like 10 bucks. Yeah, you know why? Because they'll, they'll hurt you. Well, you use them, and usually they lose effectiveness within about three shots. <laughs> and then, then you put them in, and they're the type of dart where you shoot, and it just falls out of the gun. It doesn't actually yeah, shoot. It's not, so yeah, it's kind of depressing. Uh, Nerf guns, according to, um, I guess, I don't know what we call them, researchers. Yes. That's a can good word pose for it. a serious eye risk. Oh, of course. You're, you're yeah. firing projectiles at your face. <laughs> we'll get to all that fun. But first, to uh, Terry South with the headlines. Terry, what's going on? Hurricane Maria made landfall Monday night on the Caribbean island of Dominica as a Category 5 storm. The National Hurricane Center said as other islands in the region, including Puerto Rico, braced for impact, Maria made landfall Around 9.15 p.m. local time with estimated wind speeds of 160 miles per hour, Maria is anticipated to approach the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico on Wednesday. The storm might make landfall on the eastern side of Puerto Rico and could bring major damage to the U.S. territory late Wednesday morning and into the afternoon, two weeks to the day since uh, Hurricane Irma Uh. tore through Puerto Rico. No one's recovered. They're still looking for people and rubble, and here comes another storm. Oh, boy. President Trump said Monday night that the U.S. is prepared to take further action in Venezuela if the growing crisis persists. Speaking at a dinner at the U.N. General Assembly in New York, Trump called the situation totally unacceptable. He added the Venezuelan people are starving, the country is collapsing, their democratic institutions are being destroyed. Trump directed blame at Venezuela's leader, Nicolas Maduro, and said the U.S. must take important steps to hold the regime accountable. The president also plans to mention the crisis in Venezuela during his speech to the United Nations members today, according to a senior White House official. During the 1030 Eastern talk, Trump will reportedly ask for increased pressure on North Korea to relinquish its nuclear arsenal. Oh, boy. Everyone's waiting. Is he going to go off script? Is he going to start just sort of freelancing in uh, front of the world's leaders? Or is he going to stay right on teleprompter? to the script. See what happens. Hmm. Special counsel Robert Mueller, prosecutors, uh, told, his prosecutors told Paul, Ma- Paul Manafort, Trump's former campaign chairman, they plan to indict him, according to a New York Times report. Federal agents picked the lock on Manafort's Virginia home in July. Remember they yeah. searched his house? They didn't just knock on the door. They, they picked, picked the, the lock. lock. He was in the so house. So you could be quiet. It's a quiet entry. Manafort was quiet. in the house asleep. Be very, very and someone's quiet. out front picking the lock. They got the warrant because they convinced the judge that if they tried to alert him that they're coming over, he'll destroy evidence. He'll start swallowing it. Come on, that's not fair. The report says Mueller's team has used shock and awe tactics to intimidate witnesses and potential targets of the Russian election investigation. The uh, report alleges Manafort is under investigation for possible violations of tax laws, money laundering prohibitions, and requirements to disclose foreign lobbying. I wow. think he would have complied. Just give him a chance. I don't know. They also took they, they, they also took pictures of his expensive suits. Really? I don't know what Can't that means. Can you see all the FBI agents like, ooh, come fill this one. Come, this one's this one nice. This one is a nice. Much better than the garbage Italian we wear. silk. Uh, and finally, We're trying it on. And finally, the U.S. Navy plans to use Xbox 360 controllers to operate periscopes aboard its newer submarines. Wow. Yeah, the Virginia Pilot newspaper in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, reported Saturday that the Navy's Virginia-class subs don't have traditional rotating periscopes. They're being replaced by high-resolution cameras and large monitors. So, the you know, the old movies where you see them, yeah. a periscope, Bloop. and they have this huge tube, Bloop. and they're raising it yeah. up and down. Now it's a digital, high-resolution camera, computerized system. Because of that, they can be controlled by a helicopter-style uh, control stick. 
But the Navy plans to integrate Xbox uh, controllers to the system because they're more familiar to young sailors and require less training. Here, use the video game controller. Okay. And everyone knows what they're doing. Wow. Right? They're also cheaper. A controller typically costs less than 30 bucks yeah. compared to the controller that was planned to be used, which costs $38,000. Hmm. See, this is how we clean the swamp out. There you go. Xbox. One Xbox controller <laughs> at a time. Man, thank heavens. That's a lot of money. They fixed it. Think of how many controllers you could buy. Oh, yeah. And that's funny that the kids, yeah, they do know how to use them. Well, they get the special themed controllers because they have like, you know, oh, yeah. controllers based on games and okay. that kind of thing. Like, really? Yeah, they're all camouflage or they're orange or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, will they let them bring their own custom controller or do you think the Navy will just have a Yeah, standard? Admiral, I've got my own, thanks. i got my I'll own. i brought it in right here. Some guy shows up, has a special box. It's all felt lined and pulls out a special <laughs> controller. Yeah. It's, like, it's like the gold series. Yeah. That's like nice. that movie, The Wizard, when they were introducing all these new Nintendo products and a guy opens up a case and it's the power glove. Yeah. Do you remember this? I do. Ooh, it's pretty great. Back when Fred Savage was a child. I don't think I ever owned or even saw the Power Glove. Oh, I did. Do you know why? Do you know why? Do you know why? Do you know why? Ask me one more time. Do you know why? No. <laughs> because it was a dead end. What? It was a bad product. It was just a bad product. It was a bad angle. It was a bad storyline. It was just bad. What about Super Mario Brothers 3, which they also introduced in the movie? Um, that was a great game. Have you seen this I'm going to start singing. We're be it, this the book more today. you ch- keep trying to blind me by the light, I'm going to start singing. Blinded so the book has sort of a reflective cover, and Matt has found that he can shine yeah. the light and reflect it in everyone's eyes. It's a great book. Yeah. I don't know that. Two can play at that game. Anytime, my friend. anytime, oh. anytime you. You just turn the flashlight on your phone. That doesn't anytime work. Anytime you bring up. Um, Movies? Yeah. From like, when was that? The early 80s? No, it's got to be 80s movies. Really? I'm going to shine my book. Oh, no. See, I asked. Now he's digging deeper into it. Let's get to this important story. Um, Nerf guns are dangerous. Yes, they are. I have have shot my son. 89, 1989. See, right there. So I've shot my son multiple times in the neck. He is not appreciative of that sort of action. Well, the thing is. Apparently now the researchers are saying it can cause a significant Nerf gun ocular injury, so an eye injury, that uh, that are not normally reported in the literature. But they've been doing a study on it and found out that emergency room um, uh, eye problems in the emergency room are going up because of Nerf guns used by children. And uh, interesting little thing here. Now, have you ever been hit with a Nerf gun? Um, not in the past 20 years. Have you ever, okay, so you, have you ever, Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. I went to Universal Studios. I think it was Universal. No. L.A. or Florida? Isn't there, a, isn't there a, an amusement park called Great America? Yes. I went there. Okay. I think it was there. Or it was Universal, no, maybe it was Universal Studios. Because, and I was a little kid, and my sister picked up a, like a styrofoam rock. Uh-huh. We were young. A st- wait, styrofoam it, it rock? It was like it was a fake rock that they use on movie sets. Okay. And she picked it up over my head and we were taking a, p- <laughs> taking a picture. And I'm just sitting there like, hey, look at me taking a picture. And then she crashed it down on my head. Okay. And it hurt. Styrofoam. Styrofoam. Because it was, a, it was a huge rock. It was about the size of your chest. Well, thank you. Uh, you I, I think that's uh, the a size compliment. Of your chest. <laughs> 
The size of your chest before your diet. Oh. <laughs> so it's huge. It's a big chest. Wow. No, anyway, she dropped it right on my head. Boom. Hurt like heck. And I said, ow. And she said, it's just styrofoam. As all of us are thinking. It's not even a rock. It's a styrofoam rock. Right. But it hurt. I had a very delicate neck back then. It hurt. So here's the deal. When someone shoots you with a Nerf gun and it almost takes out your eye, and then they're like, that didn't hurt. That was just a Nerf gun or a Nerf bullet. That's not a good answer. I decide if it hurts, not you. You shoot me in the eyeball with a Nerf gun. If I'm like, ow, you can't play the game. That didn't hurt. That's just a Nerf. Because you know what? Little things can hurt. Q-tips can hurt. Well, if you jam them in your ear canal deep enough, yeah, that'll really hurt. Uh, how about a little whip with a towel? Ooh, yeah. Hey, that didn't hurt. No, you left a welt. It's just a towel. Yeah, but it's a towel at 90 miles an hour. It's basically a whip. Mm-hmm. A little air horn. Uh... Just a little air horn cupped over your ear. You're a monster. These things hurt, folks. Sure, they feel like little things, but little things hurt big. A message brought to you by the Matt Townsend Show. <laughs> Just hurt. It's the air horn. Was it the air horn? Was it the Q-tip? No, I think it was the the reflection of the book. Oh, was it? Your eyes are burning. Anyway, we're here to help, folks. Don't shoot Nerf guns at people or their eyeballs. Because it doesn't, it leaves more than a mark. It could leave you visually impaired. Gotta be careful. We'll continue the journey. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Very soon, smart machines will displace many of the jobs we know today. Not only will highly repetitive jobs be replaced, but also professions we thought would stand the test of time. This includes lawyers, doctors, uh, CPAs, architects, even journalists. Ah! What will uh, keep us from losing our jobs? Well, the answer might be surprising. Ed Hess is a, Edward Hess is a professor of business administration at the University of Virginia and the author of the book, Humility is the New Smart, Rethinking Human Excellence in the Age of Smart Mach- in the Smart Machine Age. Um, welcome to the show, Ed. Good to have you back. Thank, thank you, Matt. Pleasure to be with you again. This is great. Now, you wrote the book with uh, Catherine Ludwig, uh, and one of the things that I'm noticing um, – it really is, to me, I guess, this idea that humility is the new smart, it seems a little, it's, I don't know, it almost seems counterintuitive. But then when you make your case through the book, it starts to make more and more sense. I guess, is humility one of the hardest things for a computer to fake? Well, uh, yes. Um, and uh, uh, humility is is so important because... 
first, the, when I use the word humility, I'm not talking about the dictionary definition of meekness or submissiveness or thinking lowly of oneself. I'm talking about the psychological construct of having an accurate view of your strengths and your abilities, being able to acknowledge your mistakes, and more as importantly, being good at not knowing, acknowledging what you don't know and being open-minded, open to new ideas and contradictory information, uh, and keeping one's abilities and accomplishments perspective. None of us really succeed on our own. And lastly, to basically quiet one's ego, tamp down the big me. And it is intuitively um, hard to, to sort of think about, but it's also culturally, it's countercultural. We, you know, we have a very individualistic, big me survival of the fittest culture. And what's coming in the smart machine age, humans are only going to work if they can do the tasks that technology can't do well. And we, no one human can do any of those tasks by him or herself. We're going to need others, and it's going to be a lot of work is going to be done in teams, but we need others to, to help us think at our highest level. And uh, that's what the book is about. The book it basically puts forth a roadmap, a practical how-to roadmap for individuals. How do you take your thinking, listening, managing yourself, uh, connecting and relating to other human beings to the highest level so you can basically reach, okay, or strive to be the best self you can be because that's what it's going to take uh, to have um, uh, to if you will work in the age age that's coming and it's a it's a it's a it's a journey to human excellence it's it's a, and the book basically says this is how you help yourself be your best self you have to basically engage in rigorous self-discipline training training your mind and training yourself how to think how to emotionally engage and in order to do that you have to quiet your ego, and that is how you operationalize humility. Wow. Humility is the gateway to higher-level thinking and higher-level emotionally engaging with other people. Think about it. If you're full of yourself, you know, if you're full of yourself, how can you be really open to new things? If you're full of yourself, you're trying to prove you're right. If you're full of yourself, you're, you want to make sure you get to talk. Uh, you know, you got the answers. Uh, you know what's right. And that's that's what's got to be tamped down. And it's it is so counterintuitive. You could see that it might set up many of us for a, a major fall uh, to to kind of to not listen to the warning you're giving, um, and also to just go into these situations in the future assuming you know. Yes, uh, and you know, it, one, it's going to be very very uh, a big change, Matt. You know, the best research out there says that over the next, you know, 15 years, there's a high probability that 47% of the jobs in the United States are going to be automated. Um, And putting that in perspective, that's 10 times the number of jobs lost over the last two to three decades uh, in manufacturing. I mean, this is huge. This is a huge societal problem and a huge individual problem. And we, we humans are going to have to take our skills and abilities uh, to a higher level, and um, and if and if you don't, um, you know, then you know the, the the reality of it is you'll have less opportunity uh, to find meaningful work, and and um, we all you know we all know going back to Freud, life is is work and love, 
and uh, also for meaningful relationships and um, and the humility thing i want to i want to you, you you've hit something very important matt the humility thing is a hard thing for people to grasp and that's why in the book we created the new concept new smart Old smart is how most of us were raised, and we go to school, and we make good grades if we make fewer mistakes on tests than other people. And we make good grades by memorizing stuff or, or regurgitating concepts. And new smart says no longer is that definition of smart relevant when you're dealing with the smart machines. Smart machines will always know more than we know. They can learn faster than we can learn. They can, they, their memory is perfect. They can recall it faster. The quantity, the quantity definition of smart, which which is old smart, which is what we all grew up with, the quantity definition will not work anymore. So there needs to be a, a new smart. In new smart, you define yourself not by what you know or how much you know, but by the quality of your thinking, listening, relating, and collaborating. You're not your ideas, all right? Your your mental models, how the world works, are not reality. They're only our stories. We must be open-minded and treat our beliefs, not our values, as hypothesis to be constantly tested out in the world and subject to modification by better data and mistakes and failures or opportunities to learn. And it's grasping this concept of new smart. My ego is not involved in being right. My ego is involved in by being a good thinker, good listener, good relator, good collaborator. Uh, my, you know, my... And so that frees me up to not be so emotionally defensive, frees me up to explore, frees me up to say, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. But what's important going forward is it's important to know what you don't know. Then it's important to know how to learn and how to go find it out. It's interesting because we, when we talk uh, to other um, academics, they, you know, they're telling us, well, what you really want to get into is the computer industry and anything tech, anything science, you know, kind of the STEM world. But what you're bringing up is actually, it seems like something that's so much more principle based. Um, undergirding the the entire thing meaning it doesn't mean if you're in a stem related job if you aren't if you aren't new smart you're still going to be left that's right you're exactly right and yes and and there is going to be um, wide need or many many jobs for humans who can excel at emotionally engaging with other human beings in meaningful ways in other words service jobs uh, are going to be which where you where the the delivery of the of the service is emotionally in in engaging with other people social workers psychologists home health care workers elementary school uh teachers uh jobs where emotions and reading emotions emotional intelligence is going to be so important uh, and that then brings down all of the basic same skills that listening is so important when you're building relationships. Relationships are going to be important. We're not going to lose the human need to be human, if you will. And, and, and that's the emotional side. And so I like to say that, that the STEM really becomes STEAM. Uh, the, the A stands for the, you know, the arts. Hmm. Um, uh, psychology is going to be important, if you will. Learning from history is going to be important because we're going to see the similar problems that all great societies have had. But it's, this, it's the emotional part. Uh, it's very interesting. I'm, I'm doing some work now with some very large 
global companies on innovation. And the big challenges they have, Matt, is not the technology. It's not the science, okay? It's the people and the emotional part of being able to, if you will, to engage non-defensively and courageously in the exploration and discovery of new things without being so limited by one's ego and limited by one's insecurities and fears. The emotional aspects of work are going to become very important. Boy, that really does sound uh like something we got to dig into. I'm speaking again with uh, Edward Hess. Edward is the author of the book, Humility is the New Smart, Rethinking Human Excellence in the Smart Machine Age. And um, Edward, when you bring up, uh, you don't want to be defensive. You don't want to be protective of your, you, you always do separate. You should be, you should be very, I guess, protective of your value system, but Correct. but not as, but not worry so much about, um, just, I guess, your your belief set, or what do you call it? Um, yeah, beliefs. I call it beliefs, and you're exactly right, Matt. Your values are mission critical, okay? And the, you know, the, 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 the values that underpin all, you know, all religions are, are, are mission critical. It's, it's, my, it's what I think about how the world works. I, I, I believe that the, the, the world is whatever. Um, um, and the question then comes down to, okay, why do you believe that? What data are you dating, basing that on? What inferences are you making? What assumptions are you making? Do you have enough data? Do you have credible data? It's interesting. I'm, I'm married to a wonderful woman who was trained as a, as a scientist. And we had a conversation the other, other night at home about a point, And she said, uh, I made a generalization, a strong statement. I believe this. And she says, how many data points do you have for that? <laughs> I said, two. She said, do you think you have enough data to make that strong a generalization? I said, no. She said, okay, point made. <laughs> uh, uh, but it's, that's the, we have to learn how to do that to ourselves. And people can learn this. And, and as you know in the book in Chapter 8, it takes the key behaviors that people are going to have to excel at, quieting the ego, managing one's thinking, managing one's emotions, reflectively listening, connecting and relating to others. And is that there's a diagnostic that breaks down each of those words into behaviors that evidence what's needed and behaviors that don't evidence. And so the, the book is very practical behavioral. How do you basically increase the good behaviors and then decrease the behaviors that are getting in the way of your basically being excellent at what you need to be excellent at. And it's a journey to excellence that we're inviting people uh, to join that they will never reach it. I'll never reach it. I've been working on this for decades, all right? And I still have my list that I look at every morning when I leave the house, reminding me what I'm working on. And then after every engagement I have during the day, I go through and mentally replay and sort of on a little piece of paper, give myself a grade. Where did I, you know, where did I not... Uh, you know, do what I needed to do and what can I learn from this? And it's the joy of the journey that also people are going to be surprised at because when you get on this journey towards 
uh, towards human excellence, you find out that a lot of people are also on it, and there's a lot of people that will help you. But you find out that the world changes when you don't view everybody as competition. Your only competition is yourself. Yeah, and your ability to learn, your ability to work it. We're speaking with Professor Ed Hess, author of the book Humility is the New Smart, Rethinking Human Excellence in the Smart Machine Age. Uh, He is a professor at uh, Darden School of Business at the University of Virginia. We'll continue the journey in just a bit more on humility. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. We're speaking with Ed Hess. He's a professor at the Darden School of Business at the University of Virginia and author of the book Humility is the New Smart, Rethinking Human Excellence in the Smart Machine Age. He's asked us to come on a journey uh, through the book and um, in his work of how to kind of renew ourselves, recreate ourselves in a way that we're more humble, teachable, really a learning almost machine um, that can manage our emotions and handle the future uh, smart machine age. Have I got that right, Ed? You're you're doing well, Matt. You're doing pretty good. I'll go out on the road for you, Ed, and start <laughs> teaching your class. Hey, I'd 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 love I'd love to have you because I would I, I would learn from you. That's the thing. That's the thing you're teaching us is this is about learning. And one of the points that I think is a major part of the book, and you've already mentioned it a couple of times, is quieting the ego. I mean, as humans, we have we kind of have this monster ego we're battling, don't we? Where it's that ego that gets so mad when someone's trying to teach us something, or maybe stealing our job. Yes, um, you know, our, our our ego gets in the way of us opening up and, and saying, "Okay, I may not be correct about this. Let's let's explore this." Uh, when we get challenged, we tend to get. The ego drives us to become emotionally defensive. We get into the mode of denying or defending or deflecting. And, uh, and then we also are not really listening. Um, you know, most, most people, when I, when I do this type of work with people, and it's, it's interesting. You know, when they take the diagnostic, they come to the realization they got to quiet the ego. But they also come to the realization that they're really a poor listener because the ego gets involved when 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 someone's making a statement. The ego starts already churning, and the mind starts thinking, "What is what's my answer? What's my answer?" And people are start making up their answer before the person's even through talking. Mm. Then, when the person stops talking, as soon as the person stops. The the, the 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 ego basically pushes us to immediately tell people why we're right and why they're wrong. We don't ask questions to make sure we understand. We don't generally ask questions to to make sure we understand the position. Why do they think that? Or let me let me let me let me see if I understand what you're saying. Is this? And then mm-hmm. let me try it out. Let me restate. Is this what you're saying? And then they can say, No, I didn't mean that. Because you can have a real you know big debate with somebody over something that they're not debating. That's, that they're not even uh, saying, right. That they're not even saying. And so it's this tamping down, inner peace, silence inside so you can take in the environment more realistically. The, the science is clear that we humans are suboptimal thinkers because generally speaking, we do not process information from the environment which disagrees with our story of how the world works. We don't, we don't process it. 
And what we have to do is to tamp that down and be more open, all right, so we can really make our judgments and decisions on how we live our life, how we work, based on the best evidence in reality, not the story that's not that you know the little chatterbox going on in our mind that's telling us these stories. Uh, we've got to overcome that, and you can do that by learning to quiet uh, your ego. And the, the science is pretty clear. The two. Uh, best ways to do that are to uh, engage in mindful meditation regularly, uh, and daily is the, is the best, but you don't have to do it daily, at least for 10 minutes. Uh, more is better, but at least for 10 minutes, and then practice gratitude. There's nothing that basically takes you out of the ego than thinking back in each day, thanking people more in the moment, but also um you know, in, in, in my in my nightly prayers, I go through and thank people. You know, and my my parents have passed, but every night I thank them for mm. the opportunities they gave me. My my um, coach in high school who transformed my life, I thank him and his wife every night. And it, when you thank people, and I'm not saying that I got all the answers, I'm just giving an example yeah. for your audience. You thank people along the way that helped you get to where you are and thank people in your life now that bring you joy and meaning. And that allows, that opens you up to otherness that, you know, I really am part of something bigger than myself. And we're all part, as you know, Matt, we're all part of uh, something much bigger than ourselves. Absolutely. Um, I know you have to go in a bit. Um, I wanted to get your take on this con- your concept of humility as the new smart. Do you, do you sense it's something that we lack personally, personally, but also something that we're lacking kind of collectively as a humanity? Um, I think I think we're I think that we're lacking in the United States. We're lacking it culturally. We have the most individualistic survival of the fittest culture of any, um, you know, we'll, we'll call it a very well-developed uh, economic society. Um, and it wasn't always this way. Back in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, and early 1970s, uh, we, we weren't as um, a big me and narcissistic culture. Um, and you know, and it was evidenced in the business world back then that businesses had a duty to society, to workers, and to shareholders. And beginning really in the uh, 70s, and really going from the 80s, 90s on, you know, business changed to the sole purpose is shareholder value and individuals, the big me, and we're focused on this individual. Uh, satisfaction and technology is taking us to where we, you know we're basically living and dying by how many tweets we get or how many followers we get. So it's you know how how many people like me. It's the me me me. Mm. I and when you look at other cultures around the world in Asia and in Europe and the Scandinavian countries, it's it's it, it's 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 ego is everyone has ego. Yeah. Everyone has ego issues. But culturally, other countries de-emphasize ego much more than we do. We emphasize it. Yeah, we we and we build we it up. A, we need a we need an otherness change that we're all in this together. And you know, it could go back all the way to the Mayflower Compact, the common good. Uh, we're in what's what the challenges our country is going to face going forward. We need a we are all in this together. Um, um, attitude and philosophy. Otherwise, divisiveness is basically going to put us at grave risk. 
Hmm. Give us the one thing we can do. Uh, what's the one thing I can do today? I guess we, you've talked about uh, two solutions for ego, um, our meditation and gratitude. What, what, what's one more thing I can do overall to enhance my humility and prepare for the new smart machine age? Uh, adopt the definition of a new smart and define yourself not by what you know or how much you know, but by the quality of your thinking, listening, relating, and collaborating. And adopt the, that part of new smart which says, I am not my ideas. I am not my ideas, and I must decouple my beliefs, not my values, from my ego. So when you go into um, you know, have a conversation, you know, you say to yourself, I'm not my ideas. My mental models are not reality. And it's not what I know. It's the quality of how I engage with this human being. Hmm. Beautiful stuff. Uh, Edward D. Hess, uh, great book, Humility is the New Smart, Rethinking Human Excellence in the Smart Machine Age. Edward, thank you for being with us and giving us such great insight. And all of us, let's uh, let's dig down and start uh, you know, creating more of a culture of, of we instead of a culture of me. We'll continue the journey with you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're, uh, we're helping you build the good in the world and be the good in the world. Welcome back uh, as we, you know, are learning from what Ed Hess said about humility. We There's a lot of ways this can rear its head. But at some point, too, we live in a day and an age where you can have any career you want. You can have any hobby you want. And sometimes your hobby can become your career. And sometimes you treat your career like it's a hobby. Yes. It's a problem. It could be a problem. It could also be a great thing. So, uh, of course, Terry's been out researching. Searching the web. And uh, nobody researches the depths of the BYU libraries quite uh, quite like you do, Terry. No, it has nothing to do with the BYU libraries. Oh, so you didn't go? No, I didn't search the stacks. I wasn't looking through, like, collected Were you talking to professors? Thesis. Was this about no, no, professors no. you were talking this to? This is off a website called hmm? Farnham Street Blog. Oh, Farnham yeah. Street? Yeah, I know. It's kind of strange. Um, so it's the idea of what's the difference between being an amateur and being a professional, right? So I was looking for people to come help uh, trim some trees in my yard. Yeah. And I needed – I started – you know, you, you put out feelers, get some people coming in to get some bids and all that. And Were you I, looking for amateurs or professionals? I was hoping for a professional. Yeah. Whoever's cheaper. I had used <laughs> what I – charges like an amateur. <laughs> I used what I thought was a professional before and yeah. they demonstrated very amateur skills by dropping pieces of tree on the roof of my house as they cut them off. Yeah, that seems very amateurish. Very amateurish. The, the, the guys I ended up going with brought in a bucket truck. Oh, wow. Right, which my kid thought was awesome. Super and cool. they did it very safely. They were able to were be very efficient. Were they dressed like clowns? No, they had official T-shirts and you know clothing that demonstrated they were okay. from the company rather than some guy in a ratty T-shirt that yeah. just sort of showed up. The and, first guy also uh, took a pony to a party right. if you wanted a pony at your party. Now, you think, <laughs> okay, so you wear a T-shirt with your company name on it. Is that professional? It's getting there. To the client, it is because they know you're from yeah. the company rather than just a guy that rolled up in a truck. You know what I do to decide if it's a professional What's or a, a, a just a novice? Especially with tree cutters, I always count their fingers. There you go. Mm. Always count their fingers. 
Or if you need a plumber, do they put those little booties on their on their feet before uh-huh. they trudge through so, your house? And do they wear overalls? And so I count their fingers too. Right. So here's some tips. Uh, amateurs stop when they achieve something. Professionals understand that the initial achievement is just the beginning. There you go. Yeah, they just stop once they've got it. This amateurs have a goal, while professionals have a process. Interesting. Right. So the goal, you're like, oh, I have a goal. I'm going to meet this, and I'm done. Where the professionals, like, we're meeting our, you know, we have yeah, goals, we do it, and we do it every day, and the it's the same picture. process, and we'll do it over and over. Amateurs think they're good at everything, while professionals understand their circles of competence. Are you listening, Jeff? Huh? <laughs> what? Huh? Amateurs see feedback and coaching as someone criticizing them as a person. Professionals know they have weak spots and seek out thoughtful criticism. Ah, interesting. They, they go looking for it. Right. The professional goes looking for feedback. They realize whoever's out there, whatever job they have, they can learn from that person rather than, oh, you're beneath me. Yeah, right. That's Which, good. Matt, mm. think about it. Yeah, totally. Amateurs uh, totally. value isolated performance. An amateur values isolated performance. Think about the receiver who catches the ball once on a difficult throw. Professionals value consistency. I can catch the ball in the same situation nine out of ten times. There you go. It's not the one win that that you know makes it all happen. Like I watch like a, a professional football team in a blowout, mm-hmm. and some of those guys are out there working just as hard. Yeah. As if they were up by twenty, even though they're down by twenty, right? And it's because they, they're a professional. And they realize. They have a career, and it's going to go on. This game doesn't necessarily matter beyond right now. Yeah, and they hold their position. They do their job every time. So you do it to the best of your ability, regardless of outcome. Yeah. Try to, you know, you want the best success. Huge, right. Amateurs give up with the first sign of trouble and assume they're failures, while professionals see failure as a part of the path to growth and mastery. Well, we feel like on this show, that's why we like to fail as much as we do. We're failing up. We're failing sideways. Is it sideways? It's supposed to be up. Yeah. But what's the idea? We're not learning as fast as we're failing. You're wrong. This could so be true. So we're kind of back. We're back loaded here. Amateurs don't have any idea what improves the odds of achieving good outcomes. Well, professionals do. Oh, interesting. They know the mistakes they're making. And how to fix it. Yeah. Where amateurs just kind of go, ooh, ooh, ooh. Something happened. Amateurs show up to uh, practice to have fun. Professionals realize that what happens in practice happens in games. Oh, interesting. Ooh, yeah. They're just playing more games. The pros, just pl- every practice is a game. Yeah, we need to practice. We need to do that more. That's a good one. Ama- amateurs focus on identifying their weakness and improving them. Professionals focus on their strengths, on finding people <laughs> who are strong where they are weak. Matt is practicing his uh, light shining in the face uh, technique. I didn't right even now. mean to do that. I was just pulling my phone. So he's a true professional, I guess. Now, Matt, where does this apply to you? Amateurs think knowledge is power, while professionals pass on wisdom and advice. There you go. That's my profession. Hey, I've got a little wisdom for you right here. Be curious. Be present. Embrace uncertainty. Every time he goes to Panda, yeah. he pulls one of those out. Well, I mean, they do have application at some point. 75, 22, <laughs> 13, 4. <laughs> Bingo! <laughs> and the last one I'll share, amateurs focus on being right, while professionals focus on getting the best outcome. Yeah. it's not. It doesn't matter who's right. Just do the surgery. Which I think has a lot to do with the ongoing Russia investigation. Really? Does it matter what's right versus what we're trying to stop? I think people get hung up on, 
you know, like you're just trying to delegitimize to the presidency. Down, yeah. And it's like, no, we're trying to stop this from happening in the future. Yeah. Well, you didn't stop it with Clinton. That's a good point. So you can make your own judgment on professional <laughs> versus amateur, but whichever. And maybe everyone's a little both. A little professional, a little amateur. Probably. Except for us. We're all pros. Nothing but pros here. <laughs> so having the title isn't enough to make you a pro. No. No. So doctor. Yeah. Case in point, they're Dr. Matt Townsend. Dr. Matt Townsend. It's not the title. Hmm. It's the rugged good looks. It's everything else <laughs> that's behind it that makes it sing. I appreciate uh, Jeff on the piano, by the way. Yeah. He's done a great job. It's a good background. We'll continue the journey next hour. More fun, more ideas to help you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeffrey Simpson and Terry South. The gang is all here. To give you a leg up in life, you know, none of us were born with an owner's manual in hand, so we like to provide the manual for you, giving you the tools, the information to make it through this crazy thing. And uh, today, no exception. By the way, we're going to be talking about Wi-Fi. Public Wi-Fi. I think it's Wi-Fi. Oh, yeah, sorry. Public Wi-Fi. Is public Wi-Fi as safe as you think it is? Like, Mm. would you rather, what, what worries you more? Using public Wi-Fi, okay. like at some public site, or um, using a public restroom at the same site. Which one would you think? Ooh. Which one would you think about more? I'm more wary of the restroom. Yeah, for sure. Most like people I, are. I won't touch the the uh, flusher, the handle. <laughs> I'll usually use my foot to flush it if it's not automatic. Oh, that's why there's always like. Footprints on them. And I'll always put, you know, toilet paper down on the seat. Yeah. If there's not the yeah the wrapper. So can I just suggest maybe you need the exact same um, sensitivity when it comes to public Wi-Fi? Well, there is that message that pops up every once in a while. Like, are you sure you want to do this? Because it's pub. You know, yeah. the, your information could be shared. Like if you're purchasing something in right. public. Right. It's that's that's a good message because and you might want to pay attention to it because really public Wi-Fi is as dirty as the restroom. It's dirty out there. Oh, Terry's taking a selfie in the show. Just uh, so we'll post that on our Twitter page. Is he taking a selfie or is he trying to do the reflection to himself? My wife just asked me, what am I wearing today? I was going to show her. Wow. Yeah. I was going to go, what are you wearing? That's romantic. Well, I'm wearing a soft knit shirt from... <laughs> well, today I feature... Yeah. <laughs> I'm wearing my double baggy pants and my... <laughs> I'm wearing bell bottoms mm-hmm. with some aviator sunglasses. I have noticed that ever since you've been on the diet, Jeffrey, your whole apparel is changing. You're wearing a lot... I think a lot of... I strut better. Uh-huh. Is that what that is? Yeah. Oh. Well, when you're in bell bottoms, you have to strut. Oh, Terry, he's strutting. 
Is that what that is? Yeah, we thought you had pulled something. Yeah, I thought he had a hamstring issue. It's like, did did is Jeff's leg still hurting him from softball? No, <laughs> I guess you're strutting. I forgot all about that. Yeah. But that was like six weeks. You remember you almost lost your leg? Yeah. Because of that one slide. It's gangrenous. Yeah. And what did we learn, Jeff? What did we learn about sliding in short shorts? If you're gonna slide in short shorts, bring Antibiotics. Yes. Always slide cleats up. Always slide cleats <laughs> up and bring a good dose of antibiotics. That's what we bring you on the show, folks. A little uh, a little moment there. And by the way, that was that moment was completely improvised. Because Mainly because I distracted you by taking selfies. We did not know selfies. that you were doing selfies today. Sorry. I, I'm, I don't mind it at all. I like right. it. I think it's neat, too, that your wife is – Wanting to know what you're wearing. Yeah, I'm not sure why. Well, I, you know what? It's the same reason most women are like when you walk out and you, she's like, no, you're not wearing that. Try again. <laughs> That's the best part. Is she's asleep, so I don't get any critique I as I run out the door. Doesn't she put your clothes out for you at night? No, that's me. That's good. That's good. In fact, I put them in the next room as not to disturb her as she sleeps. Yeah, that's really good. And that's why we love our wives, right? Because mm. they – they they pretend like they don't want to help with that. Yeah. But, but then they do. They do. And they and they do it amazingly while still leaving us the ability to feel like we made the choice ourselves. Like she told me the other day, you really need to not wear that anymore. Like, what, what's wrong? What's wrong with this? Really? Was, it's all – and she started pointing out all the problems with it. And I was like, well, but, I guess – You ever notice it's always your favorite outfit or your favorite shirt yeah. right. that she says that about? It's always the one I'm sleeping in. She's like, you can't go out in public with that shirt. Yeah. Come on. I have this amazing red tie that the material seems like it was taken from a couch from the 70s. And uh, I love it. But she cannot stand it. Well, yeah. I've seen that tie. I mean, I'm with her. It actually came from the couch in the 70s. Repurposed. Yeah. As, a, as someone that lived in the 70s, you didn't even live in the 70s. You should have just left it in the 70s. Yeah. That is the couch I sat on. <laughs> is that why it's always so warm? <laughs> That's right. And now you're wearing it as a tie. So so much to cover. Really, I feel bad um, for the people in the Caribbean again. They're getting – they're just getting destroyed. Right. Once again, another un, – I mean, I guess I, – I don't you remember? It's now a Category 5 Maria. Yes. Packs a Category 5 punch. But just two days ago, she was a 1. Yeah. She actually – yesterday at about noon Eastern, she was a 3. Somebody ticked off Maria. Yeah. She really spun up. She developed a – now, they say there's um, – what was it? A pinhole eye, they called it? Oh, those are the worst. And it's because it's so small, it oh, makes it tight. more intense. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, like with Harvey, it was a really – and Irma, they were bigger. So there was more – the rotation was that one, it wasn't as, as you're saying, tight. So there was, you were able to not have the intense wind. But mm-hmm. I, they say that's pa- a part of why it spun up so fast yesterday. It's not good. No. So our thoughts and prayers go out to them. Is it supposed to make its way up to the United States? I have not seen – it looks – some of the uh, – what do they call those? The track, storm track? Right. The storm tracks. Because there's the European model. If you watch the Weather Channel enough, they always, oh, that's the European model. Why don't they ever use the South American model? Well, apparently right. the European model is the superior model. 
That's what they keep saying. Which is yep. crazy since they don't really get many hurricanes. Hey, let's just be real. If it's such a great model, what happened to Brexit? There you go. Huh? Good point. So, huh? But huh? It, the, it's kind of showing it spin to the east of Florida. Yeah. So the Florida, the east coast of Florida may get some waves and some wind and some storms, but not the hurricane. The, hurricane. the US, U.S. Virgin Islands will be hit, which was supposed to be without power for months anyway. Right. So now let's, what, add a few more months onto that? Yeah. Puerto Rico is going to get hit. The Dominican Republic, part of that is going to get hit. <sighs> yeah, and then it should just swing up and may, I mean, boy, I don't know what it does. But it could just turn right into the East Coast, too. You don't know. Yeah. Not to, you know, scare anybody, but, you know. By the way, Barbuda, is that the name of it? Barbuda. Yeah, it's, it's Antigua and Barbuda. Yeah. They're a joint country of islands. Barbuda. There you go. They, Close enough. Nobody on the island of Barbuda. No more residents live there. First time in 300 years, nobody has lived on that island. Wow. Destroyed. Mm. Nothing left to live in. Yeah. Sad. It's just sad. Uh, so, you know, pray for these people. Don't – because and we're already recovering from Irma and Harvey, and now everyone's not going to probably pay as much attention to this one. Mm-hmm. But uh, the people in Puerto Rico are getting pelted. Um and all through the Caribbean. So we'll get to that. Plus, today we're going to be talking about why you should stop using Wi-Fi. It really isn't as safe as you think it is. It well, public is Public Wi-Fi. Public Wi-Fi, yeah. It's the dirty bathroom scenario. It is. So should we be taking Ethernet cables and asking the uh, the business owner if we can just go into the kitchen and plug right into the... Well, that's one way to do it. Okay. Um, it's probably more intrusive. What you could also <laughs> do is just you know use your own cell coverage. The hotspot? Yeah. You could go maybe – you could go get more data on your phone. It's another and name. And just only use your phone data service when you're out. That's another name for the Matt Townsend show, by the way. What's that? The Hotspot. Thank you. Hmm. That's a very good name. Join us on the Hotspot. Nah. Yeah, it doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Oh, come on! There's, just, I mean, there's too much to own up to with that name. Half of it's right. The spot it's the part? spot? No, the hot. Oh. oh. The hot side. Wow. Um, but first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we should be paying attention to? Officials beg Puerto Ricans in the path of Hurricane Maria, as we were talking about, a Category 5 storm headed towards the U.S. and British Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico to get out as fast as you can. You have to evacuate, otherwise you are going to die, said Puerto Rico's public safety commissioner. Wow. So they're trying not to... Uh, I guess curtail their their comments. They're trying to make it clear. Right. Yeah. This is dangerous. You will die. I don't leave. know how to make this any clearer. As of about 5 a.m. Tuesday, Maria was moving at 9 miles per hour with sustained winds of 160 miles per hour. The National Hurricane Center said officials have called the storm, which has developed a dreaded pinhole eye, potentially catastrophic. You know that there are people out there thinking, well, that sounds like a dare. Who are yeah. just going to be defiant, you know? We'll just ride it out. They, well, we survived Irma. I don't want anyone to loot my things, but yeah. you're going. Maria's going to loot yeah. your things. <laughs> right. Maria is the worst looter there is. In other news, on Monday, President Trump opened his first ever remarks as president to the United General Assembly, United Nations General Assembly, with a shout out to one of his luxury properties. Because uh-huh. I actually saw great potential right across the street, to be honest with you, and it was only for the reason. 
that the United Nations was here that uh, turned out to be such a successful project, Trump said about Trump World Tower, immediately after thanking the world leaders and diplomats gathered for the annual week-long summit in New York City. After that, after he talked about his building across the street, uh, Trump turned to talking about the reforms he believes are needed at the organization he once criticized as a club for people to get together and talk and have a good time. In recent years, the United Nations has not reached its full potential because of bureaucracy and mismanagement, Trump said, warning that he is not seeing results in line with this investment made by America. He proceeded to outline plans to reform including clearly defined goals and metrics for every peacekeeping mission and bigger focus on results rather than process. Wow. Which I think we just read the amateur versus yeah. professional, which is they're looking at process rather than necessarily right. the results. Right. You know, but, everyone's I mean, got their yeah. own approach. But so at the beginning of this meeting, yeah. he's pitching Trump. He's talking about a great building Trump across building. the street, yeah. Did he, at the that's very how he, end, that's how he, he like, warms up the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow, look at the size of this UN crowd. They really turned out today, didn't they? Man. And then he does a little mic drop at the end. Hey, have some Trump water and Trump steaks. I'm here all day. Right. Drops the mic. Drops the mic and walks away. He'll be speaking at the United Nations in about 20 minutes or so. Because you know there's always going to be a delay. And you know, you know, America's just on pins and needles. What will he say? What will he well, say? What's going to happen? So this we'll is see. Exciting. Equifax learned of a major breach of its computer system in March, five months before the date it said millions of consumers' personally and fi- personal and financial data was exposed. Bloomberg News report citing three sources familiar with the situation. The report uh, said in March, the March cyber attack was thought to have involved the same culprits behind the more recent breach, even though the company has said the two attacks were not related. So they, they think it's the same people, just they're unrelated attacks. Oh, okay. Except for it's the same people. Uh, it's the same people. Probably just... the same unupdated software on our computers. But yeah, whatever, but, but, fine, yeah, but they were unrelated. Unrelated. The company hired a security firm in both cases and may have thought the first breach was under control when it learned of the second breach. Two sources cited in the report. The credit reporting agency disclosed this month that some 143 million U.S. consumers were affected by a data breach between mid-May and late July. And now they're saying, ah, there was another one in March. <laughs> I got a note from them yesterday. Yeah, we just found out there was another one, but it's unrelated and not a big deal. Set up credit monitoring. That's probably the thing you can do. Wow, that's interesting. So we don't secure our data anymore. Just set up monitoring f- to see if somebody's after stealing your credit. Yeah, and it's only for like six months. So Okay, that's good. Well, after that, you're on your own. Okay. <clears throat> Seems like a, yeah. All of a sudden, I find out I own some house in Atlanta or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> that's okay. You'll be able to pay for it with the prince's money when it finally comes in. Right. Um, do you want new Oreos or do you want funnest U.S. cities? Wait, what was the Why second part of that question? Both? Funnest U.S. cities yeah, or Oreos? Let's go funnest U.S. What? cities for $500. Please, right. Jack. We'll, we'll save Oreos for another day. We'll get, we can always come back to Oreos. Oh, they're always there. Uh, so variety is the spice of life. Also, one of the metrics of Wallet Hub. They do these, these yeah. sort of rankings all By the way, time. By the way, didn't you have a hub in your wallet? <laughs> they used a figure to figure out what was the most fun cities in America. The site looked at 150 of the most populated U.S. cities, okay. examining nearly 60 gauges that indicate a good time will likely be had by all. Wow. The gauges include various recreational activities the city has to offer, everything from bowling alleys and beaches to playgrounds, sports venues, amusement parks, yeah. as well as nightlife options and affordability. Got to be affordable it's to have be fun. affordable, absolutely. What's the number one city, Matt? The number one funnest city is Armadillo, 
I don't know. If it wasn't for the uh, expensive factor, I think Anaheim, California would be. Well, there's also the traffic factor. That's a good point. And the earthquake factor. Duh. Sorry to bring it up. Number one city? Yeah. Las Vegas. Really? Well, it has the most things. If you think about like attractions, if you think about options, nightlife, everything. Infections. And apparently people go there constantly. So, Really? I think it's one of the worst places. <laughs> well, it's, one, it's a place you can't take your children. Now, I mean, very easily, you can't right. walk your children down the strip no. very easily. No, 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 don't, don't, don't take anything. Don't look from up. Anybody. Don't look down. You can't look anywhere except straight ahead. No, and focus on one. But maybe object. that's because that, that's weird. Maybe the, what this is telling us is we are not in fun, interesting people. Mm. Well, we just don't really do the types of things that are very prevalent there in Las Vegas. Now there are yeah. other cities on the list. Okay. The top ten: Orlando. Oh, there you go. New York. Mm. Miami, Portland. Portland? Portland. I wow. love Portland. I do too. It's a great city. And then Atlanta, San Francisco, New Orleans, Chicago, and San Diego. Wow. Those are your fun cities. Uh, I believe it's San Diego. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> so not not LA? No. Not Anaheim? Mm-mm. Anaheim's too expensive. Yeah. True. And I think with Orlando, you can cover one of the Disney properties. Yeah. That's true. So that's kind of what Orlando is. It's so kind I'm of a resort town. surprised that it's on the list if Disney is part of that. Yeah. The most surprising seems to be Portland as the funnest city, but that's – It's the fifth funnest city on this list. Is Austin not on it? No. Austin's a great town. But these are just 10. Well, I mean, yeah, there's so a lot of Austin cities. Austin could be in the top 15. I don't know. Where's Shanghai? Well, that's outside the U.S. Where's Provo? Well – Provo's not on the list. It does say here is if you're planning on visiting Oxnard in California, you might want to bring a book. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a great airport. Or there. your ox. Or your nard. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know how all that uh, applies, but uh, what's fun and what isn't, but that's kind of up to you what you want to do. But Wow. If you're looking for options. No, I'm looking for I'm totally Apparently, looking Las for Vegas has plenty for you to choose from. But the Vegas is now soon going to have. A football team in 2020. Oh, is it that far? Yeah, I was. Come I, on. I, I said I looked it up the other day because I was like, "What? Oh, 2020." Oh, so Come who cares? On. But then they might change their mind and stay in Oakland. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, or maybe by then the Chargers will be up for. The, they'll want to move again because they can't fill out their 27,000 seat stadium. They need to go to St. Louis. They have a stadium. They have a stadium. And they used to have a team. For right. Five it's good like the next 10 years. Louis. Mama. You know what's fun to be had by all? What? Legos. Yes. In fact, this is a crazy story. Somebody stole a $7,000 Lego kit. It's a lot of Legos. That's a lot of Legos. That, I mean, that represents a collection from this this man's whole life, pretty much. So this guy's from Michigan. He reached out to authorities to help track down his valuable Lego collection after it was stolen in a home robbery. Brian Richards wrote a blog post claiming someone invaded his family's home sometime after midnight on August 28th and stole his extensive Lego collection mm. containing dozens of completed sets from his basement. Someone came into my home. That's not really what he really sounds like. <laughs> While we were sleeping and removed nothing except thousands of dollars of Legos, small radley pieces of plastic, he wrote. See, he, yeah. he makes it sound like it's just a cheap thing and yet... 
$7,000 worth of plastic, <laughs> uh, either with a crew that should be large enough to be noticed or with many trips up and down the stairs. So let the conspiracy theories begin. Richard began amassing the $7,000 collection when he was five years old and has sought the help of law enforcement to return his beloved Lego sets. Uh, I believe when the authorities were contacted for comment, it was simply, the reply was simply, (laughs) (laughs) Legos. (laughs) You spent how much money on Legos? Well, Legos are getting expensive, though. I mean, because you want to buy the really nice sets. Well, because you have to buy the Legos, you have to buy the sets, you have to buy the surgery that can remove them from your feet. Do you know how many times that I've had to go in to have a Lego removed? And a Lincoln log. Oh. That hurts so bad. The splinters alone. Oh, I'd rather have a Lego embedded in my foot than than a Lincoln log any day. Oh, yeah. Uh, Okay. Well, that's good lessons. Lessons, I think, had by all. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jeffrey. Well, we'll continue the journey up next. We're going to be talking about Wi-Fi. And uh, really, you you might want to be more careful of your Wi-Fi, especially in the public area, right? And uh, connecting to public Wi-Fi. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. In today's busy world, convenience seems to outweigh consequence many times, especially with people, uh, how people use their mobile devices. Using free public Wi-Fi networks, for example, comes with a number of serious security risks, yet surveys show that overwhelmingly, the overwhelming majority of Americans do it anyway. It's, uh, it's hard to see that, uh, you know, we don't want our inconvenient, we don't want to be inconvenienced, even though somebody may, I guess, eventually hack us. And so here to help us understand a little bit what's going on with public Wi-Fi and why you really need to stop using it is Luke Bensey, who um, is a security consultant. You can find out more about his work at LukeBensey.com. And um, Luke, we appreciate you being here. Thank you for your time. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. You bet. This is a it's a it's it's kind of it's it's interesting to me because some of us are so glad when we find Wi-Fi that we don't care what it might do to us, but it's a it's it's not healthy to use public Wi-Fi. It's dangerous, right? It could bring in a lot of uh foreign, you know, what are we calling them? Just just bad dudes that might want to do something with our data. No, I mean you're exactly right about that. You know, there's there's a there's a series of running jokes. Using public Wi-Fi is is equivalent to maybe using a public toilet or yeah. or even having unprotected sex. Uh, there is there is a vulnerability uh, that comes with using it, and I think people need to recognize that uh, that you are vulnerable in in public places, uh, and depending on what you are are looking at on your on your mobile device. Uh, really should determine uh, where you where you log in and, and gain access in public areas. Is talk to us about um, about it because I, I, one of the funny things that you, you mentioned in your article um, on HBR was the study that they did at the Republican and Democratic National Convention in 2016. What was some of the data they found from that? Well, it's interesting. It, it was a, a couple of nonpartisan groups actually went in just to demonstrate how vulnerable public Wi-Fi is by setting up, uh, you know, hotspots 
and allowing people to log in. And, and basically, you know, what, what they found uh, from, from doing these, these polls uh, was about 70% of the people actually connected unknowingly uh, to these open Wi-Fi networks where their data was, was actually being uh, read uh, by by wow. third parties, uh, so so there certainly are vulnerabilities, and and you know this was done more as a as a study uh, and as a as a, as a warning, if you will, but you know there are people that are out there, and and I write extensively about this, and this is sort of what our company uh, does is corporate espionage, and for somebody who travels internationally, particularly, and they're they're competing. The, the threat of economic espionage is extremely dangerous, and, and the FBI will be the first ones to tell you that behind terrorism, the greatest threat to our country uh, is the theft of our intellectual property and economic espionage that's being conducted. And the statistics uh, for economic espionage doubles uh, you know, over just the last few years. It was just a few years ago. Five years ago, it was $300 billion wow. of intellectual property, property was being stolen uh, and now, this year, the FBI estimates it's about $600 billion of intellectual property is stolen. Uh, so there, there really is a genuine threat out there, and public Wi-Fi is a, is a great way for the bad guys, whether they are criminals uh, or whether they are you know, business competitors or for hostile foreign intelligence services. There, there certainly is uh, a vulnerability or backdoor for these people to gain access into your into your uh, intellectual property and in your emails. Now what are they life. talk to us about what like what is the threat? So when I go to um let's say uh, a public place and like a mall a food court and I'm using the Wi-Fi from the mall, what what am I doing? How am I putting myself at risk? Well, a lot of it could be uh what we would call maybe a man in the middle attack where somebody is going to go in and boost and a signal, and the signal may be labeled as, you know, free, uh, free public Wi-Fi or food court, something like yeah. that. They label it with this kind of name, and they're boosting a stronger signal. And an unwitting person may be there. They just want to check their emails. They go in and they log on to this, uh, you know, this unsecure site. And the hope is that you may conduct some online banking or, or say something sensitive or pass something sensitive uh, through, through your email. Uh, so, so this is sort of the traditional uh, attack uh, that, would, that we may see. Uh, now, now, certainly there are security measures that can be done, and, and obviously you know, every Starbucks is not vulnerable. Starbucks doesn't want people uh, you know, just logging in and stealing information. But there are nefarious people who can, who can boost signals and do man-in-the-middle attacks and, and really, uh, really ruin your day. Are they are they after the individual as much as they are? I mean, this makes a lot of sense if I were at a big convention um, with a lot of competitors, a lot of people from my industry. I could see that. Is it? But they're really also after just the average person who's going to do a little online banking while they're at the mall. Sure, it could be online banking. Uh, it could be something as as simple as maybe uh, you know finding some co- uh, you know 
in compromising photos. I mean, you see all these celebrities that are being hacked with right. their, uh, you know, their personal pics. Uh, you know, it could be somebody just hangs out in an area where they can find some uncompromising information in an email uh, that they can later go and, and maybe blackmail some of these individuals. So there, there are several reasons that people want to do it. People may do it just for, you know, human curiosity and, and to get into somebody else's lives uh, unknowingly. Uh, they're lawyers they're or something like that. Uh, but 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 realistically, if somebody is going to go after it for financial game, I, I think you nailed it on the head. Going after conventions, uh, doing this maybe on an airplane. The airplane uh, oh, yeah. is, is incredibly uh, you know, vulnerable these days. I mean, I, I write in, in my book, Among Enemies, you could be up in business class you know, working on some of your documents, trying to send something back to your folks uh, back home at 30,000 feet, and the guy in 42G is reading all of your emails. Uh, so, so there are certainly still many vulnerabilities. Oh, boy. I didn't even think of that. And all of a sudden, I mean, you're, yeah, who doesn't want better Wi-Fi or free Wi-Fi on on an airplane? And so somebody that's in the know that knows how to do this, they set up kind of as the middleman, but then they, they get into your information and all they're really looking for, like you said, I guess, is sensitive data that they could also just extort you, right? They could just, they could say, hey, if you want me to not post these pictures, you need to pay me this much money. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and really it happens more, I would say, overseas. Um, you know, a lot of the work that we do is for business people who are traveling to foreign destinations such as China or, you know, Russia, India, something like that. And what they don't realize is, as Americans, we're, we're very naive travelers. Uh, but when you really start getting out into the rest of the world, you start to realize that 75% of the planet is pretty much in turmoil at any given time. And, hmm. and things such as corruption and, and economic espionage are, are, are pretty real uh, uh, threats that are out there and, and then part of the, the daily life in a lot of these, these countries. And you really have only yourself to blame uh, if you fall for some of these, uh, these, these scams or or other uh, threats that are out there. But, but really, it's what we find is, is a lot of times it's maybe the American business traveler who goes overseas. And it could be a country. I mean, you know, don't discount Europe either. I mean, the French are, are notorious uh, for their surveillance uh, against Americans and, and other uh, business people uh, to steal uh, economic espionage secrets. I mean, really? think about the money. Oh, certainly. The French. Uh, yeah. Oh, the French. The French the, have been uh, notorious for years. Uh, in fact, they've, they've publicly admitted uh, many years ago that they, they do, you know, while we may be partners, uh, you know, politically, uh, we are still competitors economically. And research and development costs run into the billions of dollars. So why spend billions uh, to develop a new formula, whether it be pharmaceuticals or, you know, some other technology, whatever it is, why spend billions when it's, you can spend a, a couple million to do some surveillance to break into somebody's hotel room, uh, download their hard drive on their laptop, uh, and for just for a few millions. Uh, so really, it's it's more of a financial uh, you know strategy for for a lot of countries that that are out there as well. Yeah, man, that's incredible. We're speaking with uh, Luke Bensey. His uh, Twitter handle is at Luke Bensey, and um, he is a consultant with uh, Security Management International and in, an intelligent security solutions. Uh, uh, provider also is the author of the book Among Enemies: Counter Espionage for the Business Traveler and Global Security Count, uh, Consulting: How to Build a Thriving and International Practice. 
He's uh, he's a prolific writer and is giving us some great insight today about how to protect ourselves uh, if we happen to be using or still want to use public Wi-Fi after all of his uh, suggestions. Um, you may not want to, right? Interesting stuff. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we are talking about public Wi-Fi, and in a study by PrivateWiFi.com, a whopping three-quarters of people admitted to connecting to their personal email while on public Wi-Fi. And uh, our guest today, Luke Bensey, is talking to us about how you might not want to do that. That's it's. We actually worry more, apparently, um, about Wi-Fi than we than we might actually more people are leery of public Wi-Fi networks than public toilets, and that's just a new that's just a new idea, um, which uh, Luke says is a good thing because it says we're starting to be worried about possible contamination, possible infections, possible people stealing your information using Wi-Fi. Luke Bensey is a a security consultant with Security Management International, also the author of uh, a lot of books. One book is Among Enemies, Counter Espionage for the Business Traveler. And uh, Luke, we welcome you. Thanks for being with us again. Thank you. Talk to us about what are some things we can do? How do we how how do we go about uh, protecting ourselves when it, when when we're using Wi-Fi and public Wi-Fi? Sure. Well, uh, the fortunate thing is there have been a lot of security advances uh, in just just the past couple years, so that there there is a lot of good news uh, out there as well. So, I mean, the, the most basic things you can do is if you're doing business and you're using a, a public Wi-Fi, then you you obviously want to have a VPN, uh, you know, a virtual private network for doing any of your business you know, back to your company, wherever you may be. That sort of, you know, gives you a little encryption window that you're only talking to, to your folks back home uh, in a secure space. So certainly a VPN is, is the first step. Now, do we just uh, download a VPN? Is it like an app? No, well, a lot of times for businesses, it, it may be something that has to be uh, basically your platform of which your your, your company your is company would account. install you with a VPN okay. exactly yeah yeah so I mean it, certain common sense features like that and then larger companies will, will certainly have this you know law firms or big consulting firms whatever it is what you have to watch out for it and this is something that we see a lot here in, in our business particularly in the Washington DC area is that you will have very large uh, let's say defense contractor type companies, you know, the, the big beltway bandits, if you will, uh, who are making, you know, aerospace and, and, you know, military parts and all of that. Well, they certainly have good security and they have good, uh, you know, training for their employees. What happens, however, is they will subcontract a lot of their business out to, you know, let's say it's a smaller company, maybe it's an 8A status, something like that, where they have to use smaller mom-and-pops even type consulting firms. So the the bad guys, the let's say a hostile foreign intelligence service, is going to maybe skip trying to penetrate the big Beltway Bandit, you know, Fortune 500 firms, and may go to one of these mom-and-pop type uh, partners uh, that they're using instead, which may be using a simple online 
uh, platform maybe for their emails or something like that. It doesn't have the more secure uh, encryption or the more secure VPN perhaps. Uh, so, so that's becoming a little bit of a trend uh, by the bad guys to bypass the, the larger Fortune 500s and go for these, these smaller partners. Oh, wow. So certainly a VPN is, is, a, is a great first start. Uh, the other thing is, anytime you're logging on to any websites that are out there, uh, obviously you want, only want to visit the websites with the HTTPS encryption uh, in public places as opposed to just the HTTP. Uh, the S is, the HTTPS is, is basically telling you, hey, this is a, a more secure uh, type website. Um, other things you might want to do is if you are traveling internationally, again, a lot of our clients are people who are traveling to to China and some of these other places that are known to uh, spy on, on business travelers is, you know, have a, a sanitized standalone laptop that perhaps you travel with or a sanitized cell phone that you travel with and even set up a what we call a dummy or throwaway email address that you're communicating to your colleagues with uh, that, that you almost just assume that somebody is, is reading your emails or penetrating your emails or getting in that way. And then when you come home, you can sanitize your, your computer, that, that particular laptop. Uh, you know, a lot of our, our folks, we just have throwaway cell phones. Hmm. Uh, you know, as soon as we come back from a trip to, you know, China or something like that, the phone is just destroyed. And, and the cost of phones are coming down so much that, you know, if it really is a sensitive project it's worth, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars as part of a deal, uh, then certainly it's worth it to do that. And there's other some other secure you know telephone uh, cell phone software that that's out there as well that you could you could certainly use as well. But you know with the prices coming down, there, there is a big disposable option. And you know and I don't want to sound like an an, an over alarmist. I know maybe a lot of your listeners are saying, hey, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to every time I travel to London, I'm not going to buy a new phone or a new laptop. And and I certainly understand that and I recognize that. But you know, a lot of the folks that we deal with, yeah. uh, particularly, they're talking about a sale in the billions of dollars between two governments that could you know, swing uh, your your GDP of that country one way or the other. Uh, so it does make sense in, in many cases to have a more uh, secure operational security mindset when, when conducting these type of businesses overseas. Are we safe with our Bluetooth? I mean, I use my Bluetooth all the time and I leave it on all the time. Is, are, is that something we should protect as much as the Wi-Fi? You should be alert to your Bluetooth. I mean, it, it does leave a, a small door open. I don't want to say it's, it's, it's too large of a door, but there certainly is a, a vulnerability when the Bluetooth is on uh, from that, that distance from the Bluetooth to the phone. So what we always say is, is monitor your Bluetooth connection when you're in public places uh, to ensure that other people aren't intercepting. When you get very close to other people uh, in a cafe or something and you're all bumped up against each other, uh, there are ways to big, piggyback off of somebody else's Bluetooth if they're in, in very, very near proximity. Hmm. Uh, but, but nowadays, what, what sort of happened is the, the, the Bluetooth vulnerabilities distance-wise are not what they were, uh, you know, just, just five years ago. Yeah. And I guess, too, another answer that you gave in your HBR article was just, if you can, use un- get an unlimited data plan and only use your own data. Don't borrow Wi-Fi publicly. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's you know also another the option you can do if you just want to avoid Wi-Fi uh, yeah. altogether. Just just pay a little bit more for it. Is what what do you any suggestions for our home Wi-Fi system or our home networks that uh, we just ought to be aware of? 
Well, yeah, certainly you, you, you want to be monitoring sort of the Wi-Fi pop-ups uh, that, you'll, that you'll notice from your drop-down menu as well, seeing, you know, are there new, uh, I guess, players in your neighborhood that are showing up on, on your Wi-Fi. There is some Wi-Fi, uh, not Wi-Fi, but there's certainly computer software that you can put in as well, virus scans, things like that, just to determine uh, perhaps if somebody is, is snooping or sniffing or, or looking around in your system as well. So just keep all your, your virus protection, things like that, up to date, just to see if, if you know, there are any suspicious activities yeah. uh, at your home. It's so interesting because we, we are, would be devastated if we lost our phone, and yet we go, we'll go out and take our phone onto networks that are dirty and ugly, and you're losing it, – it, it's just as damaging as – potentially damaging as if somebody took your phone for five hours and stole everything off no, of it. No, you're certainly right. And, and it's, it's funny how we've become – I mean more so with our, our – our phones really than, uh, you know, laptops or anything like that. And, you know, it, you're si- starting to see now the two-factor authentication coming in a lot with banking or online shopping, things like that, where uh, you'll receive a text message to verify that the email is, is actually you. And, 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 again, great idea, great concept. But just to let your listeners know, and this is going to be a, a future HBR article as well, is that the bad guys are, are always staying a step ahead as well. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but we are almost – more reactive than proactive uh, to the threats that are out there. But what you're starting to see now is if somebody can just get a hold of your actual cell phone number, uh, which is certainly pretty easy to do. I know a lot of people in business will even have it on their, their email block signature of what their cell is. And then to call up another cell phone company and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, this is my cell phone, and I'd like to switch over to your carrier, and using some you know, what we call a verbal jujitsu or social engineering, uh, basically uh, manipulating the person on the other end of the phone to believing that you are the owner of that phone number, switching the carrier over to you, you now have access to that telephone number under a new carrier. I mean, they just want to make Holy it. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, and then now you are going in, logging in as forgot password. Please send a text message uh, to verify that this is the correct person to get the password reset, and you have control of the phone. So you're resetting all of this, per- these, this person's password as well uh, if you've captured their cell phone number. And to spoof a cell phone number is very easy to do. So to be able to call somebody using that fake number is, I mean, that's an app right there if you want to spoof somebody. Unbelievable. Uh, that you're them with their number. So there's there's a lot of shady folks out there. There's a lot of con men out there who, who know how to manipulate the system. And, and like I said, from, from a security standpoint, the technology is changing so rapidly. I mean, it's so tough to keep up with it. Um, and it's really one of these things that you're, I don't want to say you're on your own, but you, you need to be a lot smarter individually. And you have to use more of what we call good OPSEC or operational security uh, you know, just in your, your daily life. I mean, what we say in the Among Enemies book is, you know, rule number one, always assume that you are under com- some kind of surveillance uh, when, you're, when you're traveling internationally. And, and rule number two, always try to think and act like a, like a counterintelligence professional, hmm. uh, meaning that don't post anything, don't send anything, uh, don't write anything in, a, in an email that you wouldn't want splashed across the front page of the, the New York Times. Uh, you know, publicly, is it is it that vital or valuable the information that you're sending that if it did get out, it would cause that kind of disruption? Uh, so that's just the mindset that you have to have, especially when you're dealing with very sensitive, large scale uh, 
international business opportunities. Absolutely. Luke Bensey, thank you so much for this insight about Wi-Fi safety and security. Again, Luke Bensey is a managing director um, at Security Management International and is providing intelligent security solutions for all of us. Also a writer at HBR. Um, Wonderful articles there as well. Awesome insight, folks. Wi-Fi. Act like you are always being watched and uh, be careful that you, you only send what you want to be known for. Interesting insights. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, a traveler who uh, got in a little trouble with a customs officer at JFK. Gotta watch out for that. seems like he was the one creating all the trouble in the first place. It's always, that's the way it always works. You should know by now, you don't mess with customs officers, with TSA. They can do a pat down. Exactly. And a re-pat down. Yeah, so apparently there's this guy that uh, felt like kung fu fighting. (laughs) Because uh, he was traveling through JFK Airport, and he unleashed a martial arts-style kick on a customs officer, authorities said. Oh, boy. Oh. Ah. So his name is Zachary Zborowski. Oh, say that again. Zborowski. Oh, you say it like a real Russian. 36 years old. He was hauled into Brooklyn Federal Court on Thursday for delivering the unprovoked strike. Zbarovsky hmm. was walking down an airport corridor when he encountered the off-duty officer who was still in uniform, court papers said. He took a step past the lawman and came back with a roundhouse kick. Oh, boy. And uh, so there was surveillance footage of it, uh, that, that they took a look at. That poor uh, officer didn't even know it was coming, probably. And it took three federal officers, including the victim, to get Zbarovsky under control. The customs officers were not seriously hurt. See, this is like a spy. This is a spy story. The guy must have thought he was a spy. So there's one more here about uh, another woman who did something that was kind of bizarre. Mm. Uh, She's accused of throwing shoes at at a deputy's patrol vehicle. (laughs) And uh, I just have one question. Yeah. That really hurt. I'm going to have a lump there, you idiot. Who throws a shoe? Honestly. Who throws a shoe? No, honestly. <laughs> who, who throws a shoe? So, okay, here's what happened. So she's 31. About 6 a.m. on August 20th, uh, she was arrested. A deputy tried to talk to a, the woman who apparently was walking north on Kings Highway in the middle of the road, later identified as, uh, let's see, Caprado. I don't know if we have her first name here. The woman took off her shoes and threw them at my patrol vehicle, the (laughs) officer said. She kept walking, and the deputy moved his patrol vehicle to talk to her. Capraro ran up to my vehicle and kicked the bumper. Without her shoes on. She turned around and proceeded to walk north again. Maybe she didn't know it was a cop. Maybe. The deputy again moved his patrol vehicle. Capraro jumped on the hood of my vehicle, got off, flipped me the finger, and once again started walking north yelling, leave me the bleep alone. Capraro. Capraro was arrested on charges of resisting an officer with violence and criminal mischief with property damage under $200. It doesn't say whether or not she was wearing... uh, 
pumps or heels. Well, apparently she was under the influence. You know what, though? But something. Think about it, though. Haven't you had, like, your target heart rate going when you're out on the on a brisk morning walk and somebody disrupts it? It just throws no. you off your game. No, never had that. You, no. You're never walking that early in the morning. No. Never and never had a target heart rate. <laughs> like I'm thinking I'm 47, 48 years old. Why start now? I'm just lucky to have a heart rate. Just keep it that way. Interesting insights, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Top of the morning to you. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Terry South and Jeffrey Liam Simpson. The gang is all here. We are locked. We are loaded, ready for a great hour of uh, learning together. Uh, Julie K. Nelson, the bomb mom, will be joining us. She is the um, the child whisperer. And a professor uh, is going to walk us through how to build trust, I'm assuming, with our families. Yes. Because she, she, she does yeah. the uh, family topics. And Julie's uh, always fun to have on the show. We'll be, we'll be getting deep into that. Plus other uh, lessons I think we're all learning. Again, worried about the people in Puerto Rico. Um, it's it's kind of it's sad. The uh, LDS Church just took a big um, drop off of food to Puerto Rico, hmm. and where uh, you know a lot of the leaders were there helping the people in Puerto Rico, and now all of a sudden they have to batten down the hatches because here comes another one. Here comes another one, and uh, I guess this is what happens in hurricane season. Have we decided yet if this is related to global warming or not? Depends on who you listen to. Some people say because of global warming, the temperatures of the water are, you know, it's warmer, it's water, warmer water, and warm water is what fuels hurricanes. So it's not, <clears throat> a, it's not, yeah, it's not the hurricane that's being caused. The intensity of the hurricane is being influenced. Yeah, because it seems like we have a lot of three, four, fives out there. Yeah, quite mm. a few. And, and and you know, like last night, it was, or yesterday, I was telling you, it's uh, Maria, correct? The hurricane. Yeah. Maria. She, Hurricane Maria la, la, about la, la, noon la, Eastern was la, a three, la, la, la. category three. And then by the time I went to bed, it intensified to, to category five. five. And like two days ago, it was a one, just a puny little one. Yeah, it was just out there by itself. Just being puny. Yeah. And then you taught us as the great um, oh, wow. as the great meteorologist mm. that you are about the, the ever focused needle eye of pinpoint pinpoint yeah by the way matt do you feel pretty today oh so pretty do oh. you feel witty and gay and wise mm, i don't remember that being part of it i think that's part of the song isn't it you know i pity anyone who isn't you today thank you that's very nice of you He's being so nice today. Yeah. Is he got some sort of breaking ulterior into motive? Song without singing. Uh, luckily, though, President Trump is on it. He's addressing the U.N. as we speak. No, he's done. Oh, is he done? Him and his entourage have left the building. And I believe, unless I saw that was the picture of him entering the building. It's hard to tell. He did mention 
Kim Jong Un. He did. Well, uh, he used his he used an alias name for him. Yeah, he, he used his new nickname. What's his new nickname? Rocket Man. Rocket Man. Ooh, a little Elton John. Yeah. Rocket Man is. Um, I don't know how Elton. What? I guess Sir Elton would be the yeah. proper. I don't, I'm not sure how he feels about it. It, but. it seems like now I'm not a diplomat. Okay. Okay. And mm-hmm. uh, nor do I play one on television. The problem sometimes is sometimes on the radio. You, it seems to me, you probably ought not be calling other leaders of the world by a, a nickname like Rocket Man. The man has rockets, right? And it, the man has. It's a derogatory. President Trump is using it in a derogatory way. It's like little hands. He when he made fun of what's his name who has uh, little man syndrome, right? What's his name? The senator from Florida. Oh. Little man. I thought we were talking about Trump. Little, little, little Rubio. Little Marco Rubio. Right. That's what he used to call him. I thought you were talking about, was a spy magazine called Trump a small-handed vulgarian? This was back in the 80s, I believe. We shouldn't call people vulgarians. No. Or small-handed. Wasn't a vulgarian, wasn't that a character from Star Trek? Could have been. I thought it was just somebody that was vulgar. Well. <laughs> Maybe not. Yes, yeah, so calling other world leaders names that you've made up about them isn't necessarily the best thing to do at the yeah. UN. I mean, I get it behind closed doors. I bet that's happening. Everyone but. calls Benjamin Netanyahu Bibi. Bibi, yeah. Except, actually, I don't think President Obama ever called him. No, because, you know. They weren't talking. They weren't talking. But but or President friends. Obama would have at least been kind of respectful. I mean, yes. there are a certain amount of people in the United States that think this is tough. But you don't yeah. make fun of people no. that you're trying to negotiate with. Or the idea of like, well, you're just talking about being politically correct. Yeah, I'm not, really. I'm talking about don't diplomacy. A, yeah, let's not try to antagonize and make the situation worse. Especially a guy with missiles. Yeah. So as scary as this is, this can't be the end for us. It can't be. What? Why? Well, there are a lot of things that haven't happened yet. Oh, well, no. I yeah. mean, aside from the fact that I haven't reached my target weight range by the that's, way that's that's right neither here nor there well for instance uh, the lds church hasn't gone to china well okay but the i, I guess you're, we're not saying it's over don't you no no one's saying it's over okay we're just saying you you don't tell a man with missiles and rockets uh, that's what and I'm nuclear saying. missiles and rockets i'm saying it's scary but we shouldn't be too scared because it's not the end yeah that was last week the end of the world was last week. Did I, got, did I miss that? Yeah. Did you oh. not get the memo? No. I Always mm. open up your BYU Broadcasting memos. Because I don't think I was invited to that. Yeah. Oh, no. You're invited. <laughs> you're singing. <laughs> you're singing at the barbecue. It's kind of ugly. Kind of ugly. So we'll cover, uh, we'll cover that, give you a little UN update, I'm sure. Um, also, Julie Nelson, Building Trust, will be talking with us. BYU Sports Nation will be on. We always like to check in with them to find out what's coming up on their show. Our big question is, does BYU, what do you do in the off week? Like, they, they've got a lot to do. They've got a, will Mangum, Tanner Mangum heal in this off week? He looks good on that scooter. Yeah. If you watch them uh, running into uh, the locker room at halftime, he yeah. was flying up the ramp I just I, fast I think what's go. cool about it is um, when you put the little lights on it oh, yeah. and the bell. Mm. That's what I would do. I'm holding out for some really motivational Mighty Ducks type speech from Kalani Sitake. That'd be cool. 
you know, and maybe they come up with a new secret play that nobody has ever considered before in the history of college football. Like the Hail Mary. Or the Flying V. Or playing lesser opponents. That'll be the real I think the big key <laughs> solving is, of the problem. Yeah, I think you hit it right there. Yeah. It's like you've, you've focused on the sports side of this. If they could just move down to a non-top-20 team. That'd be great. Can they just start playing high schools? No, that might help. There's several in the area that would probably take up a practice game. No, but they're better than that. They're uh-huh. better than that. Come on! They're good. They'll be fine. We'll talk. We'll talk to BYU Sports Nation. They only need six wins to go to a bowl game that you'll watch on, like, the what, the 15th of December and then forget about by the 20th. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be great. Then you're like, what, what game did they play in again? It's funny because oh. the season is really now beginning. This is where everybody's starting to get into their – everybody that's in, a, that's in a division or whatever they're calling it, yeah. one of the big five conferences, conferences, they're now starting to actually play their hard games. At this point, they're not even going to make it to the Rice Bowl. <laughs> yeah. They're not going to make it to the Rice Bowl. But uh, the Rice Bowl may not be as important to get to. It's not a real By the way, bowl, is it? Actually, today for lunch, I'm having a rice bowl. Mm. Mm-hmm. You lucky man. Thank you. My wife said, do you want a rice bowl to take for lunch? Which, by the way, she's normally not up when I'm up. So normally I have to make this decision without her. Or would you like noodles? And I'm like, no, the noodles make me sick. Give me the rice bowl. Two things I shouldn't be eating right now. Oh, yeah. Let's talk just a quick update. You have, is it just this week? I have until the 27th, so I've got about eight days, eight or nine days. Eight or nine days to There lose. is some leeway. They give you an extra day or so. How much more weight do you need to lose? Well, when I weighed myself this morning, I was the uh, at the lowest weight that I've been so far in this whole thing. Really? So, But even at the lowest point, I, there's still like 3.3 pounds to go. Oh, you're fine. You can lose 3.3 pounds in eight days. Go to a sauna. Yeah. Uh, fast for one of those days. Yeah. Um, exercise every day. Have a colon cleanse. Yes. Um, and uh, let's put a couple plastic bags on you. What you do is you get okay. plastic bags. I learned this. Not watch. over my head, though. No, no, no. Okay. You poke some holes for your mouth and um, your nostrils. And then you wear the bags and you put your clothes over them and then you go exercise. Mm. And you will sweat so much. You you may die too, and if I die, I'm already wrapped up. Yeah, what's so great about it? Then you just have to pull the red the red handles, and it just tightens around your neck, and you don't smell. That's yeah. how we do. That's how we do it all the time. I'll pr- on that last day, I will probably weigh myself all throughout the day and just take the lowest number that I can get. Yeah, wrestlers lose three pounds easily in a day. I mean. It's it actually it makes them lose years of longevity, but right. I'll, maybe I'll have some sugar free Jello for a meal. You can lose three and a half pounds. In fact, I dare you to. <laughs> I dare you. You can do it. We'll help you. That's why we're, we care. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Uh, Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country we should be paying attention to? President Trump told the U.N. General Assembly in New York this morning that the U.S. may have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. The United States was uh, has great strength and patience, but if it is forced to defend itself and its allies, we will have no choice but to do- totally destroy North wow. Korea. He went on to say... It's um, tough. 
before members of the member states Tuesday, Rocket Man, or Kim Jong-un as the rest mm-hmm. of the world knows him, is on a suicide mission for himself and his regime. The United States is ready, willing, and able, but hopefully this will not be necessary. He then looked at the UN and said, this is your job. This is why you're here. Fix it. Oh, so he's, he's basically calling out the UN. Because the whole point is they're supposed to negotiate yeah. conflicts like this. Where so are like, you? Fix it. Where are you? No. Interesting. In other news yesterday, President Trump was dazzled. By, he reported being dazzled by a military parade on Bastille Day in Paris earlier this year. If you remember, he went over there for a weekend, yeah. took in the military parade, was very impressed by it. And during a press conference with the French president yesterday, suggested America will hold its own military parades on future 4ths of July. Okay. Now, remember, he wanted to roll tanks down Pennsylvania Avenue yeah. for his inauguration. Well, who didn't? The people uh, that run the city and take care of the streets said you'll destroy the streets with tanks. Yeah. No, they <laughs> said no tanks. So Yeah, but then yeah. he'll create jobs for the people that need, yeah. can fix mm-hmm. it. Fix the road again when they destroy it. So we'll see what happens. But he wants to have so military parades. So the infrastructure parades. package is going to be parades. Who holds military parades like that besides well, France? That, Russia. Russia. Dictators. North Korea. North Korea. <laughs> Does Iran throw any of those? Probably. Up? Mm-hmm. Those they all good. like to roll their ICBMs and I missiles think down the road. Venezuela used to do it. They might do the it. Problem. They have no gas to run their tanks anymore. So. Yeah. Um, initial reports indicating Category Five Hurricane Maria devastated the small Caribbean island of Dominica on Monday night with 160 mile per hour winds, tearing off roofs and leaving, as it says here, mind boggling damage. That, according to the Prime Minister of uh, Dominica. Uh, as the storm blew out, the prime minister took to Facebook, said, so far, we have lost all what money can buy and replace. My greatest fear uh. for the morning is that we will wake to f- uh, news of serious physical injury and possible deaths as a result of the likely landslides triggered by persistent rains. He added that the roof of his own home was gone mm. and his home was flooded. Crews are standing by in the morning to go out and help the trapped and injured. We will need help, my friend. We will... Need help of all kinds, he wrote. Uh, uh, Maria, the strongest storm on record to hit Dominica, is expected to strike Puerto Rico on Wednesday. Unbelievable. The United States will send more than 3,000 extra troops to Afghanistan, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis announced on Monday. It is exactly over 3,000 somewhat, and frankly, I haven't signed the last of the orders right now as we took a... Okay, 3,000. 3,000 new Small soldiers. elements that are going, Mattis said Monday. He added that the new newly deployed troops were either on their way to Afghanistan or had been notified of their upcoming deployment. With the 3,000 new addition, the U.S. will now have more than 14,000 troops in Afghanistan. Wow. Which was more than was reported before because the Obama administration looked at well, them Well, the numbers are hard. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's like they're not really soldiers. They're kind mm. of helpers. They're advisors. Yeah. So, uh, And finally, on a, a lighter note, lighter in the sense of not being heavy news, but maybe heavy in the sense if you consume enough of these, they sound really fattening. So heavy. Okay. Yeah, let's hear about it. So them. not for you, Jeff. Not for you, Jeff. Jeff, do not listen. This You may get la, 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 la. Have you ever had cookie butter? No. Apparently, it's a thing. Hold on. Like the when you're making cookies and you put butter in and then you mix some stuff I, into it. I, I inquired of people who may have better knowledge of this. And okay. they're saying it's more like a cookie dough type product. But you can go to like a place like a Trader Joe's. Apparently, they have a very uh, well-liked and often out-of-stock item of cookie butter. Cookie butter. And you use it By on Paula Dean. Using cakes, using all kinds of stuff. It does sound like something that would yeah. clog most of your arteries. Oreos is they're announcing a new flavor of cookie butter. <laughs> wow. Um, the brand new release will be available in stores nationwide on Monday. This came out the 14th. 
Okay. So that would be what, this upcoming Monday? No. The 14th? Or it should be in the stores now. It's in the stores now. It's okay. the 19th. In stores now. Uh, Oreo purists may miss the crunchy chocolate cookie exterior since these limited edition cookies are graham flavored with a cookie buddy f- butter flavored creme mm. filling. Well, I mean, I would try it. I wouldn't order it, but I would try it. I'd try Wait. a couple sleeves of them. Order it? Order it. You just go to the store you and buy it. it. Like, no, I'm It's not like it. at a restaurant. No, what, I'll have listen, the listen. cookie butter the way, Oreo, Terry, please. give me some Oreos. By the way, Olive Garden apparently has a cookie butter cake, mm. a decadent, as it says, dr- a dessert featuring layers of light vanilla cake, yeah. creamy cookie butter flavored frosting, mm-hmm. cookie crumbles, <gasps> and a warm, I'm going to say, caramel drizzle. I would say caramel. Me too. I wanted to be more sophisticated. Yours sounds better. Caramel. That sounds really. That's at Olive Garden. It's at Olive Garden. I mean, a place that sounds like small of Larden. Mm, right. Um, <laughs> Oreo recently, they say it's interesting. Here, there is a trend happening here. Yeah. Oreo put out. They have peanut butter flavored cookies. They have jelly or pe- it's peanut butter and jelly. Oh. Apple pie. I've tried the apple pie. They're pretty good. Jelly donut, and now cookie butter. Wow. Mm. Would I mean again, I would try them all, but mm. it just seems like we're missing the real point. Of what? The real point is an Oreo. Nah. I mean, do you've pe- done that. Do people though go buy the other ones? I mean, the, it Apparently. sounds like they don't keep any of these really in stock long term, do they? Not really. The flavors come and go. I know, so it seems like that would be expensive. They must be making a fortune on them. Probably. Hey, try this. Because I, I don't eat Oreos. I don't buy the actual Oreos, but I'll stop for like the apple pie ones. Those are pretty good. I bought the firework ones I told you over the yeah, summer. That was See, those were that. a little weird. You lost a finger. That's right. I'm just a fan of just the regular original Oreos. I don't even care for the double stuffed as much. Have you ever had an Oreo covered in chocolate? Yes. Those are it's quite good. Very good. You know, I created something on a campout. That I don't remember if Oreo came or if Nabisco came out with it later on, but you took you took the the sandwich ends off. Yes, you roasted a marshmallow. Ooh, you put it on there with a block of chocolate, mm-hmm. and you put it the a smorio. The smorio, is that what you called it? A smorio, and it was delightful. I could only have about two because they're so rich. They're very rich. I love me a smorio. Somebody out there is going to steal this idea. Back to your diet. No, come on. No more s'morios for you. (sighs) We'll help you lose the weight. But the rule is you can't try any of those Oreos, and I just ordered some. So, sorry. From your waiter. From my waiter. Waiter? Yeah. Anyway, sorry, but we're here for you. Julie K. Nelson will be with us in just a minute talking about building trust in our families, in our most important relationships. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you love stronger. (music) 
It's that time, folks, to uh, deal and, and to learn how to be a better parent. We've got to learn this parenting thing, this family thing. Who better to help it with this than Julie K. Nelson? Julie is the author of Parenting with Spiritual Power and Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. Also, she has a master's degree in marriage and family and human development, teaches applied parenting and marriage and relationship skills uh, classes at Utah Valley University and has a wonderful website, spoonfulofparenting.com. Julie, thanks for being with us. Thanks for always having me back. This is, uh, you know, you you keep getting through security. We don't know (laughs) how that happens. You always somehow make it right up here and then you're knocking on the window. Let me in. We're like, how does she get by security? Usually they, they're Throw tasing them. Out. Our, our security is intense. Yes, they are. Uh, so talk about uh, building trust. You apparently have really fallen in love with a little Brene Brown work. Yeah, she's a great lady. She's and, amazing. Um, wonderful researcher. TED and Talk. TED Talks. And she, look her up. Um, she did a real, wonderful talk um, on the anatomy of trust. I show it to my um, marriage class and, and dating class um, just because we talk about how there's a, kind of a – almost formulaic way that you can um, learn if a person's trustworthy. Rather than just saying, do I trust them? You kind of use your gut. Do I trust them? But you also need to use your head. And there's some actual ways you can look at a person to say, are they trustworthy? So you should trust, but verify. Exactly. That's how you do it. You got to verify. What do you say to your clients when they're saying, I don't know if I trust my partner anymore, or I I have this gut feeling I shouldn't marry this person, or whatever it is when they come to you. What do you say about trust? You know what I use? So I always teach that trust is it's given and earned. And so it if it's already been broken, usually when couples are dating, they're so in yearning they don't realize what trust is. Like, of course I trust. I'm like, we're amazing together. But about five years in, then it starts to fall apart. So you at some point you have to – you can rebuild trust. It takes time. But people – this idea of – I love this idea that you're that uh, you're going to bring out about – that there's there's a formula kind of to it. You've got to see, and one of the things I believe is character, integrity. So you got to have some level of integrity in there, honesty, and competency. Some people just aren't competent, and if they're not competent, I don't trust them either. Mm-hmm. They could be the most honest person in the world, mm-hmm. but if they don't know what they're doing, I don't trust them. Yeah, absolutely. So to me, there is there is part of the formula. Yeah, so she has a formula. I won't get into it today because there's so much to it. So look her up on the anatomy of trust. But I just want to touch on a few points where she, first of all, talks about what is trust. And she uses um, a definition from someone else that's that you choose to make something that's important to you vulnerable to the actions of somebody else. So you basically open yourself up. Yeah, you'll, yeah. Something that's important to me, I open it up to you, my vulnerability, and I'm deciding based on that, are you trustworthy? If you're mistrust, if you don't, if someone's not trustworthy, then what I've shared with you that's important is not safe. I don't feel safe anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they have spilled that confidence to somebody else or whatever it might be. They dismiss it. They they judge you. So she talks about different things that you can look for that when you open yourself to be vulnerable to someone else, um, did, did they hold your confidence? Did that, did that build trust? And she talks about it being marble jar moments and mm-hmm. shares a story with her daughter with putting marbles in a jar. And 
says to her to her daughter, you know, who do you have friends that you know you trust them? It's kind of like you have they put marbles in your jar of saying you yeah you know, time and, and time and time again. and time again. And she, and her daughter, you know, pointed out some things and she said, what are some examples of how you know you trust your your friends? And she gave little tiny tiny examples where just little moments. And Brene was like looking for big things. Yeah. But her daughter just said, you know, when they when they okay, one of them when she said is in the lunchroom, my friend, I know I can trust her because she always moves over and gives me a little half hiney seat on the chair. Even if there's not a chair, she moves over so I have half of a seat. So I can have a place to sit in yeah. the lunchroom. Now that's trust. And, and she's like, what? That that little tiny thing? But she talks about it being marble jar moments. And as we learn through research is that trust is built over, like is over time, yeah. time and time again. And it's usually small acts because people who are trustworthy, their character does not trump at you. Um, and are they're in your face, but they're doing quiet things, not even that they want to be noteworthy hmm. because integrity means I'm not out there to sell myself. Yeah. I do this because it's good because I know it's good and I do it even if no one else knew I was doing it. Yeah. And yeah. so these are small moments, just that kind note, that gesture, those things that maybe even anonymous and you watch for those things. So what are the small marble jar moments in your lives? Think about that in friendships, what they do that's not big, but just small. So being reliable. She talks about being reliable. What you do, you do what you say over and over again, like adding marbles to a jar. It means also that you don't overcommit yourself because people who are very, they're people pleasers. And you know who those are, people yeah. that want to be liked. And so they'll say yes to everything, but then they don't come through because they're just pleasers. And so she said also being um, trustworthy means that you can say no when you know you won't be able to follow through. So the people like, I have people in my life who go like this. Hey, let's do lunch sometime. It's been great. I'll give you a call. And you know they never will. Yeah. Liar! And they're just being sweet, yeah. as, sweet as pie. But I never take them you at their word. You don't trust that. You don't I never trust take, that. It's not that they're just a mean person, but I just, I know I don't take them at their word. Mm-hmm. Because they're just saying that as a nicety. And so make sure that you don't commit to being on a committee or say yes to a whatever it is to be, uh, you know, to be asked to do something. If you know in your heart, if some other better offer comes up like the couch and you don't want to get off oh, the couch because there's the a great couch. show on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, TV, whatever it might be that you're going to say, ah, not today. I, I did sign up to do that thing, but uh. <laughs> and so don't be the kind of person that people won't be able to rely on who say, you know, don't call him. He, he doesn't ever come through. Or I, oh yeah, that's that's Matt again. You know, yeah. typical Matt. Totally, that's yeah. what they say. There he, he always not here. There's Matt again. Exactly. But because your trustworthiness precedes you. Yeah, and people know, and so they'll they'll pick you to who comes through. And usually there's a saying that says, you know, if you want something done, pick the busiest person in the room because they're the person who knows that when they have given their word, they'll follow through, and therefore they become very very busy yeah. people. But at the same time, they also say they know when to say no. That's the problem. Some of us aren't competent at knowing how to say no. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm pretty good at it. I know when I start to feel that panicky thing or I'm starting to feel like my plate is way too full, I'll say to someone – and there's different ways. And we'll maybe another, another um, time together we'll talk about how do you say no. And there's many different ways of saying it graciously. Yeah. Of not now but I would love to be asked in the future or not now but there's someone else I have in mind that I'd like to. There's different yeah. strategies you can do so you don't feel terrible about saying right. no. So that's one thing about making sure that you are reliable, um, that you show up. 
and then you say yes to when you can say you know, but no when you don't. Another one she talks about is being, being accountable. Um, when I recognize I've done something wrong, I quickly apologize sincerely and I make amends. Hmm. Um, when someone shows me that I didn't do something right and I didn't see it, it also means reciprocally if someone points out and say, hey, Julie, you know what? You really messed up on this. Do I become defensive? Do I dismiss it? Do I say, you know what? You're making a big deal out of it. Or do I say, thank you for pointing that out. I didn't see that. Yeah. And if that is trustworthy is when so I not only apologize for what I can see, but when you point out something, then I also say, wow, thank you. I didn't see that. I didn't see that happen. That's interesting. So that's more how you receive mm-hmm. criticism or mm-hmm. feedback. I mean, are you – do you react? Are you a reactive person or do you are you open to hearing it? Yeah, not defensiveness. And I think a lot of us know – have had someone where we've given them some feedback that's yeah. critical and then they bite you back or they dismiss it. And then after that, you're like, I'm not telling them anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to go there again. And they're not – trust. you know they're not trustworthy, right? And so that's another marble in the jar is how do they accept feedback and do they apologize sincerely and the critical thing is make amends. Not just go, oh, well, I'm sorry. My bad. But do they sincerely say it and then make amends? Now, that's the hard work of trust Boy. is building that back back up. And apologizing as well effectively. Yeah. So not picking and choosing what I what are the easy things to apologize for and say, I, I don't like the word my bad. That's just so dismissive. Yeah. My bad. Oh. I know. I did it again. <laughs> no, that's such great advice. We're speaking with Julie K. Nelson about building trust and we'll continue the journey, continue the lesson uh, in just a bit. But be thinking about it yourself. Where do you need to grow trust? Where do you need to strengthen your trust? And when we come back, we'll uh, we'll give you even more insights into how to uh, to make the change you need to make. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. We're talking about trust today with Julie K. Nelson, the bomb mom. You can find out more at her website, a spoonful of parenting.com. She's, uh, she's kind of reviewing um, some work by Brene Brown in her work on the anatomy of trust and is teaching us there's a lot of things that can help uh, create a trust, but trust is your ability to open up on your vulnerable th- things with other people and allow others in on the areas of your life where you feel more vulnerable. She also suggested that we, uh, we, we do what we say, don't always say yes, um, you know, how to, how to give feedback and how people watch and pay attention because how you handle someone's feedback to you will impact trustworthiness. Yeah, if they're dismissive or if they accept yeah. feedback. Um, Apologize. And apologizing and, and making amends. It's not just saying my bad, sorry, but that they move forward in making amends and fixing it and changing and be accountable to yourself and to themselves. And um, just those small moments. She, she talks about the research basically just just really surprised her and that the, pretty much how people learn to earn trust, like you said, yeah. is that it's through those small moments. And so you have to be watching for it. It's a pattern over time. So don't rush into relationships too fast. People who are blinded by the love potion, yeah. right, don't see what's in front of them. Because they, always, they always seem to have this weird um... – like so if somebody violates the trust 
they kind of want the person to get over it faster. Like, okay, move on. I said sorry, but it like you're saying, it's it takes a long time, and then there's a point where it actually has to be given. So, like with my kids, my kids aren't great drivers before they got their license. They they're not. So we have to kind of trust them, and then they kind of earn trust with us. So we let them drive, and then we teach them, and we watch how they receive feedback, and we watch all everything you're talking about. And then there's a point where we also have to just trust that mm-hmm. they'll do it. Mm-hmm. And they, mm-hmm. but some of it's because they've earned it, and but they also haven't earned it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I see trust in a relationship. It, it's never a perfect thing, yeah. but it has to be given. But it has to be actively worked for. Yeah. And and like the marbles in the jar, the jar should be more filled up than not. Yeah. If they're taking it out, taking it out, and the marbles are, you know, um, emptying, then we start to s- become panicking. So it's okay if, if, you know, once in a while a marble comes out. But the majority of the time, the person should be building up that bank account. Right. Should be building it up. Brene also talks about that we – it involves integrity. You know, of course, trust equates with integrity, yeah, right? right? And so she, her definition, which I love, is this of integrity. You choose courage over comfort. Hmm. Choose what's right over what's fun, fast or easy. And you practice values, not just profess them. So let me say that again. It's choosing courage over comfort, choosing what's right over what's fun, fast or easy. And practicing values, not just professing them. So it's it's it walking the walk, you know, yeah. watch the person. And I call this in my class, I call it congruence, where you're – it's like in geometry where you have two triangles that are exactly the same. Yeah. It's it's your words and your actions match, you know. And so John, Dr. John Gottman, who we love, um, he kind of talks about trust versus betrayal and um, that he has these things called sliding door moments like from the movie – by Gwyneth Paltrow, where she's going through a sliding door and goes can go one direction or the other. It's an interesting movie. Uh, yeah. um, and so her, her life changes whether or not she goes to the door or doesn't. Um, so what he said is he had a sliding door moment, where, and he can choose trust versus betrayal. When he was going to go to bed and he was reading the last few pages of his murder mystery, and he was like at the very end he could figure out who was the murderer, and he knew he wanted to prove it. And, and so he gets up to go to the bathroom, and his wife is in the bathroom combing her hair, and she's just kind of combing it very – he could tell she's sad. Her something body language, wrong, something yeah. was wrong. But he wanted to get back to bed to finish his book. Mm-hmm. Right? So he has a sliding door moment. Yeah. Right? Do I avert my eyes, go to the bathroom real quick, and then jump back into bed? Yeah. Don't want to go there. I don't have time. I want to read my book. Or do I go through the other door, which is you know, open up to my, hus- my, my honey? Uh. So he has this choice, right? Trust or betrayal. So he, um, there – is the he says there is the opportunity to build trust and there is the opportunity to betray. Yeah, that's and each that mo- magic sm- moment. Those small moments. There is the opportunity to build trust and there is the opportunity to betray. So you turn towards. He talks about the turning towards or the turning yeah. away. Yeah, the different bids turns, and turns, bids and turns. Uh huh. It's not in the grand gestures, but in the small everyday moments, that's cool. folks. That's where it's at. That's where it's at. Those small moments. Um, so as small moments, um, as, uh, there are to build trust. There's also those same small moments to betray. So to choose to choose not to connect when the opportunity is there is also a betrayal. So instead, Dr. Gottman said, OK, there's my sliding door moment. Um, I'm choosing trust. And so he turns towards his wife, takes the brush out of her hand and starts combing her, brushing her hair and saying, honey, tell me what's going on. You know, I can tell there's something that's bothering mm. you. You know, put the book aside. And yeah. like like Brene said, choosing courage over comfort. Yeah. 
choosing what's right over what was what was going to be fun, easy, and fast for him, and practicing his values, not just professing them. Those are the hard moments. Oh. He, he wanted to get back into bed and finish his book. But that's where those little small moments every day that we build trust. And that's, I guess, the in the end, too, um, when he turns to her and starts doing her hair, it's, it then becomes another sliding door where she has to choose to allow him in. Yeah. Absolutely. And be and that 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 creates vulnerability and vulnerability creates intimacy. Yeah. Absolutely. Boom. Well said. Thank you. Okay. That's cool stuff. Man, good work. Again, this is why we pay you the big bucks, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> Julie K. Nelson's her name. The book, uh, the books, you've got two books, Parenting with Spiritual Power and Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. You're going to want to go check those out. Go to her website, a spoonful of parenting.com. Julie, thanks. Thank you. Keep up the good work. You too. And stay trustworthy. We'll continue the journey with two very trustworthy souls uh, from BYU Sports Nation. Straight ahead, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, folks, to the drum circle that we call uh, our segue to BYU Sports Nation. We were going to go down to our good buddy Spencer and Jerem, find out what's coming up on their show in just about 10 minutes from now. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, my friend. We about to roll out. <laughs> this is a way more intense moment. You we guys, need to get on the chase. You guys are sh- like, like we're two cops. Or something. Yeah, you totally like you're yeah, Starsky and Hutch. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Catch some criminals. Which one's Starsky? I have no idea. Isn't there a blonde one? Yes. One yeah. of them Owen Wilson. To you, then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which one's, yeah. Um, so what are we eating? I can hear, I, it smells muffin. good. A muffin. Oh, are Chocolate you, chip. Are brand you, muffin. Do you know the muffin man? Um, I do know the muffin man. <laughs> you are the muffin man. I probably man. am kind of like the muffin man. Hey, so what do you guys do on an off week of BYU football? Do you, do you take the whole week off? Yeah, we don't do the show. Um, Nothing, no sports, no other sports are going to be highlighted. We, we have kind of curled up in yeah. our fetal positions. Uh-huh. Are you wearing your footsie jammies? And we are drowning in our own sorrow. Oh, boy. That's a hard so, day. Hey, by the way, welcome to question. my world. Yes, I'm taking Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday off. Are you really? Yeah, this is this is the only bye week all year. This is Jerem's week, man. So where are you going, Jerem? There are a lot of busy people here. What are we doing, Jerem? What are we doing? None of your business. Can I come? Do you need yeah. a chaperone? Yeah, you can come. I'll come. I'll maybe watch. I say the... none of your business because I'm not exactly sure if I'm actually going to this place or not. Oh, hey, wherever <laughs> you go, can I just go hang out at your house and eat all your food? While Whatever you're food's gone. there, yeah, they're sweet. Like, they're a bunch of tortillas and sun chips. Tortillas. Thanks, Don't forget to I give love me the garage tortillas. <laughs> That is so I'm good. I'm not saying that out loud. Because <laughs> someone would actually go do that. Just text me your garage code. <laughs> Again? Yeah. Well, yeah, I lost it that other time. Oh, okay. Just leave the key in this very that, specific location. Tell me this right now. How many other people's garage codes do you know? Not like off the top of your uh, head. I mean, like, do you have information? To one. One? I have one you, other. But here's the deal. My I have son. Two. My son has a list of about 30. Ooh. Oh. That he's that because all of his friends' houses he goes to. Yeah. So if we needed to, we could. You know, people are always like, "Hey, if there's a disaster, you better have your stuff." No, we've got thirty friends to go to. I'm going to Costco. Yeah. 
Smart. Yes. When the zombie apocalypse hits, I'm going to Costco. Jerem is the forerunner of that whole ideology. Go yeah. to Costco. Go to Costco. You have everything. Because and not everyone can get in. You have to have the uh, card. That's right. I'm, a, I'm an exclusive business select member. Oh, wow. I, I just know, hope really there's cool, not a right? long line. Not everyone can do this. I don't want a long line for the vibrating chair. You know, the well, massage chair? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to need it after the you can apocalypse. Get a four pack of TVs if you want. That's <laughs> so true. Hey, uh, do we know? Did you? Do you guys? So, what's what's Tanner Mangum's uh, status? Uh, BYU does not discuss injuries unless they're season ending. So, so he's publicly we don't know. The good news is it, it didn't end a season. Correct. It didn't end a season. I have a personal hope. You want okay. me to tell you about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope that Tanner Mangum is back for the Boise State game. Yeah, that is my hope. Hold on, how many that games away what, is that? Weeks? That would be four weeks. Oh boy. Okay, can that means I? He would miss one more game. You know what I want if, you guys to do? Let me give you a little secret, okay? Because I used to be an EMT. So, Are you um, serious? Uh huh. Totally. Wow. Ba- back in the day. What have you not done? I've done it all. Oh, I've boy, never, I've never been the captain. Psychology. I I've never been EMT. the captain of a ship. Yet. And you drive oh, a German sure SUV, have. do you not, Matt? I do. And you yes, know what? Sir. But what I wish I had done was follow your advice and had you uh, procure me a German SUV. It's okay. Oh. It's all right. We yeah. drive the uh, same model of said German SUV. <gasps> Seriously? Yeah. You have one too? I do. You are so cool. I don't drive it though. The wife does. It's, it's, it's fast. It's sporty. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. True, true. Okay, so anyway, back to your EMT okay. story. We'll have to come back to the German sports thing because I've got a whole story to tell you about okay, that someday. Okay, love it. Um, okay, uh, what you do when Tanner Mangum comes up, kneel down, pretend like you're tying your shoe, okay. look at his toes, and just squeeze the tip of his toe and see if blood fills up. Like, like so when you squeeze someone's toe, it should what they should have capillary right they should have capillary reflex. So <laughs> then so then you'll you'll see if they have good blood flow into his toes and then you'll be able to predict better oh. his healing process. Yes, this, okay. This is what BYU football wants from us. Hey listen, you're friends with Karen. You could probably pull that off, dude. You know what? I just saw Karen and uh, I sh- I didn't dare ask because I felt weird. No one's probably asking her that question. I know. I didn't dare ask. You don't ask a mother what happened to her child. She's one of the Never nicest ask. ladies that I have ever met. Never ever. ask the mother of a quarterback how the quarterback's e- doing. That's exactly. Number 17 rule of And she makes some of the best food you've ever tasted. Ever. Okay, so um, what's on your show then today, even though there's nothing going on in your lives anymore? Um, the recipe for success. Yes. Hmm. The recipe to make you forget about bad losses. What wow. has to happen for you to forget all of the bad things that are going on with BYU football. <laughs> what within the honor code? It, no, that's yeah. not what we're discussing. We we are going to discuss that exact point. Uh, what would what would help you forget the Wisconsin and LSU games that later this year with BYU football? What would have to happen? Well, what if nothing? Maybe you feel that way. Yeah, no, maybe I you want to know what you think. I really Blake Fowler. Okay. Us. That's uh, good. Maddie Matthews of the women's soccer team will join us. They got a big win over Kansas, 3-2 yesterday. Trace Goles. Mm. Trace Golitos. Trace Goles. And then uh, it's like Trace Leches. Yeah, I love it. Goals. I love Trace uh, Leches. It's great. It's great. Uh, and then a new Between the Lines with Lauren Frankham-McLean.com. Uh, women's volleyball, you laugh, you lose. So basically you're going to watch them challenge each other. Oh, how fun. See, you guys have all of the fun. That's why you're not going to want to miss it. It's straight ahead. It's about five minutes away. Gentlemen, thank you. BYU Sports Nation is the show, and, you're, and Spencer and Jerem are the goats. 
greatest of all time. I've just deemed them goatage. They make great cheese too. Oh, have you tasted their cheese? <laughs> That's wrong. That totally is wrong. It's wrong on so many different you know fronts. Hey, uh, just a quick little note that I did not know about. Um, I did not know. Did you know that Selena Gomez had a kidney transplant? No, I didn't know that. This summer. Wow. That's a big deal. A kidney transplant. Yeah, apparently she got a kidney from a friend because she was in such dire need of the kidney. Hmm. So they got a good match and a friend came in and they got her a kidney. Totally true story. I would think somebody like Selena Gomez would have an easy time finding a kidney well, you donor. Have to, but you have to be put on these lists, right? These donor lists. And then you have to have a, such a bad situation that they move you up the list. I'm just thinking like, that I mean, friend like is going to be a... taken care of yeah. for a while. Well, and plus, how fun to know that you saved someone's life by giving an organ. Jeff, I want There's you to that know, too. I'd give you my organ. I'd give you my kidney. Really? Yeah. Hmm. You just never asked for it. Well, I, I only take uh, A-positive organs. Ah, oh, darn it, because I'm AB negative, I think. Bummer. Oh, well, get your own organ then. Um, hero, uh, our hero story of the day is a boy that rescues five people from the sea in two days. Listen to this. A heroic eight-year-old boy rescued five people from a treacherous stretch of coastline in the space of just two days. Brave Stefan Williams was out kayaking when he spotted three tourists, an elderly woman and two teenagers, huddled on a rock. He quickly fetched his uh, rubber dinghy and then towed the, uh, the terrified trio back to shore. And just two days later, he spotted two teenage boys stuck on the same rock. Frantically whistling and waving to catch his attention, this uh, time his mom Kate insisted that they call the local lifeguard team, which happens to include Stefan's dad. And uh, anyway, they saved the family again, saved those boys. So uh, he was given a $10 reward by the first family for helping them out. How cool is that? You can be a hero at any age, and really the best hero is the one that just is elevating and bringing, bringing peace to the world. Well, thanks for being here, and thanks for listening to us. We'll be back again tomorrow. Remember, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio, and BYU Sports Nation is up next.